Stuart here. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into the podcast. If you enjoy what you're listening to, please help us out. Do us a huge favor and lend us a five-star review on iTunes. Tell your friends about this thing. Um, I think that the best way to help us out is to share us with your friends, with your genuine enthusiasm. Unfortunately, the episode went a little bit longer than we wanted it to, so we had to cut out our mailbag segment this week. Uh, If we got some mail from you, we promise we'll make it up to you next time. Uh, So sorry about that, and thanks again for sending those. We promise we'll get to them. Uh, This episode, we're going to talk about T-Rex, specifically Mark Bolin, and the creepy coincidences surrounding his death. And then we're going to talk about the mystery of Sid and Nancy. We're not going to talk like that the whole time. Yeah, so. God. <laughs> Someone tuned out within three seconds. They're like, oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> Get rid um, of this. Get rid of this. I like uh, we're using the new stumbling now. Um, you had mixed feelings. Go ahead. No, uh, when I listened to the Alante podcast, which is the last one, I was like, it took me a second. I was like, is it the new one? That's kind of good, right? Because we yeah, love the old one so much. We do. Um, so, yeah, I think it's good. I mean, we're just we're moving into the future. It's yeah. positive. But speaking of the future, there wouldn't be one without a past. So, this past weekend... (laughs) I was like, where is this transition going? (laughs) This past weekend, we had a really awesome show. We Uh, did. I had a really shitty show on Friday before it. You know, one of those punch-in-the-clock gigs. Yeah. Um, There were, like, little kids running around, and I was playing a solo acoustic show, like, barely getting paid shit, you know, all the way in Nevada. And... uh, you know, I'm freaking singing my heart out, and there's these little, like, five-year-old kids kicking dust everywhere, and I look at their parents, and I'm like, are you serious? Like, I'm trying to sing, oh and God. if you've ever sung when there's dust kicking around, it's a problem, because yeah. it's, you're trying to inhale, and when and then, you know, obviously sing. When you inhale, you're just inhaling tons of dust, so Also, like, in, why are you letting your kids kick dust around at a what is it like a restaurant brewery thing yeah and it's so, like just keep oh it dude they were like making sand piles and then throwing them at each other yeah that's and i'm looking not, and they're it's like not a beach no it's <laughs> for sure not a beach i'm like five feet away from them 10 feet away from them maybe and i'm looking at their parents like dude i don't know why parent why you need to bring your kids to bar- whatever whatever she, it's yeah. not i just their like mom looked at me she was like <sighs> we're sorry about our kids well then and i was like that's it <laughs> uh, they, uh, sometimes kids own their parents you know what i mean yeah they just own their parents because this kid was trying to go in this like forbidden area that it was, yeah it was like we're shut down and you know oh, I know exactly what you like yeah. climbing up in and the he was trying to climb beds, in there and yeah. she's like we can't go in there honey and he was like why <laughs> and screaming and crying and at that point she was just like fuck it started pounding beers and i uh, yeah those i, I actually mean, won I those get. kids over hard they loved me <laughs> And I was handing them stickers, and I did their parents' job for them. I'll have to say, I was like, I, I was like, hey guys, I really want to give you these stickers, but you have to make me a promise, okay? And they're like, uh, what? And I was like, 
we can't throw dirt at each other. <laughs> yeah, that's not a thing. And they're like, why not? And then the one kid was a total snitch right out the back. He was like, this kid threw dirt in my eye. And I was like, did you like it when he threw dirt in your eye? No. And I was like, to the other kid, I was like, would you like it if he threw dirt in your eye? And he was like, no. And then I was like, well, there you go. Let's not throw dirt at each other. And then it kind of solved the whole problem. Oh, that's good. I, I don't know. I, I'm torn because I feel for parents when their kids are just like melting down in public. And I'm just like, I understand that this is like a huge part of it's out of your control. But like, yeah, there's certain spaces where it's like, why do you need to bring all your children? When we went to that brewery in San Francisco after our um, after we did the radio show with DJ Webbles and we got a, that was a, a cheeky too, beer. That was a blast, um, it was a blast and there was a ton of children there because it's like this daytime brewery and you could tell the bartenders were over it. I was standing at the bar to order a beer. Um, it's like a big warehouse and uh, this like probably six year old runs up to the bar and like interrupts me and yells at the bartender. He's like, I want a pretzel and a water or something like that. And the bartender looks at him and he's just like deadpan like super mean just like you can't order from me you need to go get your mom or dad i'm not speaking to you <laughs> the <kid like laughs> runs away all upset and i was like uh, okay I, I, you could just get the vibe that all the bar- bartenders were like this is getting it. out of control like yeah. kids are coming up to the fucking bar like we're not feeling this and i wasn't feeling it i was like this is aggressive and weird. i wasn't feeling in it uh <laughs> I took the hangover sessions way too literally. It, I felt good when I woke up. I was like, we're going to kill this. We actually, I thought it was a great uh, time. Oh, it was great. Yeah. But I went downhill fast and it was a fun night beforehand, but rough uh, Sunday. It was. Tom and I hung out a little bit longer, but that place was, was just a weird vibe. It was almost like, yeah, it was It was like half I felt children, bad. half adults. I wanted, to, I wanted to hang out with you guys longer. I felt like I missed oh, out okay. on a fun opportunity, you know? We had a good, really it gave time. us an excuse. Yeah, we went home and had just a lazy kind of Sunday thing. Um, but yeah, so so you had your <laughs> gig on Friday. And my shitty show. <laughs> and then um, Saturday. I met that Casey Turner guy, the guy that we thought uh, maybe wasn't the nicest guy because his emails were super like Oh, I don't uh, remember. Oh, yeah, 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 but we didn't meet him at the last but gig. But we didn't he wasn't meet there. him. And I met him this time and he was a really nice dude. Well, that's good. Yeah, really Some people nice email badly. It's just, yeah, I think badly. that is the golden rule is to... Make sure that the tone of your email is how you intend it to be. Use more explanation points. Like explanation points, <laughs> smiley faces, winky faces. Dude, where I work, tongue we're, faces. we're all about smiley faces at the end of emails. You got to. Like, it's really cute. Like, everyone, I mean, the no age one, we all are, it's like, we're used we're used to emojis. And no one's It's pissed. fine. It's no not, it's pissed. not unprofessional anymore, I feel like. Have you ever received, like, an email with a smiley face? You're like, fuck this guy. You're using an emoji? <laughs> are you kidding me? There's not... Yeah, I I just don't like really like crisp like that's the wrong word like um uh, Kurt, Kurt emails yeah where emails like, where it's just like bring what? me the papers period yeah, and you're it's like ridiculous what am I your slave <laughs> like no it's so like <laughs> yeah it's pretty ridiculous I I've uh, I actually had a conversation about those kinds of emails uh, with someone today and she was like I do that all the time and I'm like well maybe that's why everyone's always mad at you yeah I, I I think it's also kind of inherently female but I've definitely like noticed in my emails I'm like I'm like I just whenever you can you know like almost to I'm trying to be a little actually a little little more aggressive in my emails sometimes but just throwing the b word a lot just keep it what <laughs> Just throw the B word in there and then you seem really aggressive. (laughs) (laughs) So out of pocket. Um, But yeah, and then on Saturday we had, this last Saturday we had our Vinny show. Um, 
with Mama Foxy, M. Jones in the Melee, and then our friend Matthew Pollinger as Orr. Um, and yeah, what a love Matthew fest. Matthew Pollinger, who was just here he was five just, minutes he ago. He just walked in the door. Hi. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, that was awesome. So I won't, I won't gloss over the show too much, but I do have to say that it was one of my favorite Vinny shows. The vibe was really good. Tom said we drew more people than the release show, which is crazy. That's crazy. I just think it was the nature of, I don't know, it's the weekend before Thanksgiving, like, but it was just good vibes all around, um, except for one thing that we'll briefly touch on. But then my favorite part was the fact that after the show, a handful of us came back to your house and stayed up till five in the morning yeah. playing music and drinking and a little didn't bit even more wake up and Amber one time. just talking and playing music. And yeah, that was magical I was night. so impressed with you and Matt's version of that Donovan song. Aw, thanks. I was like, this is so good. I was like smiling from ear to ear. <laughs> See, at the time I'm like, guys. we're just, we're just drunk. Like this isn't good. But like he, um, I can't remember. Oh, I, I I was talking to him about his set because he played five songs and I was like, hey, I really loved your fourth song. It reminded me of a Donovan song. I thought it was a Donovan song. And he said, no, they're all in originals. But he's like, but I love Donovan. And then he grabs, it's actually me and Tom's banjo that I've never seen anybody play in the seven years we've had it or yeah, whatever. Right. Um, and he just starts bad. playing, yellow is the color of my true. And I was like, I know that song. So we started singing the whole thing together. And it was awesome. And then Stu walked in right when we finished and said, play it again, play it again, play it again. So we did it a second time. Yeah. And that's when you filmed it. So that was we were, second take. We were having fun. Yeah. I, I like, it inspires me. Like, I... I'm like, oh, it'd but be fun. But that to was uh, M. Jones. That wasn't her official lineup, right? The bass player is real, and the the bass player is a real human being. Real, yes, but the Ariel's drummer real. was a sub, right? He was a sub, um, yeah. but I think a good friend of theirs. Okay, um, gotcha. I've met their real drummer is Jono. So it was only he's a, he's a cool two cat. thirds of the melee. She should have been M. Jones, and well, she, oh, she's the melee. Not, <laughs> she's not the melee. She's M. Jones. I guess. I guess so. So M, it was M. Jones and two thirds of the melee. Oh Plus man, sub. this is true. Plus, I love subs. <laughs> subs love when you call them subs. Not even a name. It's, it's the ultimate excuse. If you suck, you're like. I'm I think his subbing. name was Jason. I met him. I once. didn't met me. I met him in the loudness of everything. So, but I wanted to give a big shout out to Mama Foxy because the crowd um, was tough to warm, and uh, Mama Foxy found this way to really just bring everyone oh, yeah. into a really good place. Yeah, and it was great. It was good for us because then when we got, by the time we hit the stage, the crowd was hot and ready they were, to go. And they were dancing. They were rip-roaring, um, yeah. They were in a, the right vibe. Totally. And uh, so the ill, you know, the ill event that happened, that's not really a thing people say, but the bad event that happened is there was a fight in the middle. We debuted uh, our Led Zeppelin cover. Yeah, our only hey, new hey, song that we did. Yeah, Hey, <laughs> Hey, What Can what can I Do? Hey, hey, what can I do? I and got a woman stay drunk I thought all the we were time. doing a really good job because we probably nine times out of ten we played that song we fucked it up. Yeah, I was and worried about doing my it. My lyrics were always fucked up. I mean... <laughs> I'm like notoriously really bad at remembering lyrics. Yeah, but that, I'll give you an out. Like that song specifically has three packed verses. They're very rap like the way in that. In the morning when the sun is setting low, low and da da da. da. Yeah, it's very. I it's yeah. Walk around the gallery, looking all around. It's a it, tricky one. Yeah. Such a. I promise you, it didn't sound like I just sang it on this. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Whenever I fake sing like at work or something, everyone's like, oh, and I'm like, I don't. Uh, damn it, I don't sing like that. But anyway, <laughs> Why do I do this that? this kind of wussy fight broke out in the middle of us. Like no one was really getting hurt. It was like a more like a push fest. It was like seven people all pushing each other at the same time. Yeah. It was like a maelstrom of like 
grabbing and maybe a lightweight punching, but nothing crazy. And then they just went out the door, and it was just like, well, well the, sec- the big now. security guard just kind of almost like pushing like a moving thing. Yeah, just, they like, did a pushed. great job getting them out. It was awesome. Well, I said to the security guard later, I was like, I was like, hey man, good job defusing that ridiculous, you know, childish situation. And he was like. Yeah, you know, that wasn't that bad. Like, I see a lot worse here. And I was like, okay. But, but it was really funny because all all of a sudden, all eyes were on what was happening, you know? Yeah. We were kind of took the back seat for a second. We played through it, for the we, record. We played through it. Didn't stop. Didn't miss a beat. I think I said, hey, hey, let's keep the peace. <laughs> like, twice. So I was like, what the fuck? And uh, <laughs> basically, after that, the crowd really warmed to us. Like they really it's liked like us. It's like we went through that. something together. It's yeah. like, oh man, you guys, Not we got that they through were that. Cold to us by any means. <laughs> no, they were, they they were, were fine. But after that, it felt like we were all one. It was, was like so, we were all on the same thing. I was a little, I was a little embarrassed because like that was like like M Jones, M Jones and the Melee. They're all kind of out of Oakland, so this is like I was like joking with them. I'm like, welcome to Concord. Like welcome to Vinny's. It's like of course the Vinny show we play where there's a fight, but. They they loved Vinny's, dude. Like, um, How could you not? I mean, Ariel walked in and she was like, "This is a cool venue." And I was like, "It's so fun to see like a fresh person see Vinny's for the yeah. first time and be like, this is actually like a great venue.' Because I'm like, you know what it is? Like, it it's is set good, up really great. Well, it has a natural draw. Great too. lights, like great huge stage. You good know, sound. Think about like the Fireside Lounge stage compared to the Vinny stage. Let's not talk about the. Fire. <laughs> I'm just saying they don't need the, any free pub. It's probably on this an eighth place. the size. You They've know, tried to get us like, to play there. You know what? I don't even care. I'll say it, and because they need to, Stu's the people wagging need to his know. Finger right now. The people <laughs> need to know. Wagging don't his play Fireside Lounge. They do not do sound for you. They rip you off, and it's just it's a shit show. They make you plan and book everything, and then they don't pay you. And yeah. it's like we got screwed. There's no way. We got, I wish I've been saying, I wish there was like uh, a Yelp. Rate my rate my venue. Rate my yeah. Rate my venue. That's oh, it. Copyright. 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 Oh, copyright. <laughs> that's if you say it three times, it's legal. Copyright. 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 <laughs> so <laughs> rate my venue. They would get a F. Yeah, we but, we we are talking about in the future on this podcast doing a, it was Alante's idea doing a segment on the our least favorite shows we've ever played because we have some fun horror stories. And I think oh it'd be really God. fun to have uh, a local musicians just send in like a recording of like a two minute story of like the worst. Anyway, it could be really fun. It could be. Because everyone has an awful show. Horror oh, remind story. me we have to read our mailbag at the end too. That's oh, some, you and I? Yeah, we have some have mail. mail yeah, we have a mailbag. Oh, now. that's exciting. Yeah, we got some emails, baby. Cool. All right. So today we're going to get into it because we're worried it might go long because these stories always go long. But we started this history idea as like a duality. Like Emily would tell a story and I would tell a story. Right. And it would be loosely related. And we kind of based it off one of our favorite podcasts, My My Favorite Favorite Murder. Murder. But it's a great platform. It's just like people like storytelling. and It's great. And it's, yeah, they go back and forth. And when one of you doesn't know the story, what I like about what they do is the other person can ask questions that almost the listener's asking. Because when you tell a story, totally. you, you leave holes. And so you can go, wait, wait, what year was that? Yeah. Wait, 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 who was there? What, what, what happened? And so it, it kind of helps tell the story better. And then also, um, 
yeah it's it's just a it's i also kind of I've, I've decided i don't really like when a podcast will be like we're gonna cover the manson murders or whatever it's gonna be four episodes i'm like oh man just do it and do it simply in, too do it long quicker. like i don't need all the details like i don't know I, sometimes they're good like obviously serial is like a glowing oh, serial is like the best like i mean like yeah when you're doing really like good. a one story and you kind of take too long but i mean we're it, ta- I like amber and i go to santa barbara quite a bit and there's this one podcast that she really wants me to listen to but it's like an entire thing she's like let's Sometimes get into amazing, it and i'm just like yeah. i just don't have the attention span yeah i kind of like the one story and then moving on to the next and then and yeah. amber and i are real chatty kathy's too so we end up talking mm-hmm. and then we forget where we are and yeah it's it's a whole thing yeah so do you want to go first or do you want me to go? well i have the stand so maybe i, I think should i was go gonna first. say i yeah. think you should go first because yours is maybe a little shorter and mine's, mine's a gonna be a huge bummer Mine's a little bit of a bummer, too. I think they're Let's both bummers. Fair. They both involve, <laughs> yeah, some young, tragic deaths, for sure. So I am going to cover the rise and fall of Mark Bolin, who is the lead singer of T-Rex, uh, s- principal songwriter. He basically is T-Rex. Like, yeah. It was T-Rex, was Mark Bolin with his backing band. Right. Um, he And he has a bunch of really crazy uh, coincidences some of it might be a little bit legendary, like legendy based, kind of like the, fun to talk the about Paul too, is dead yeah. type shit, you know, where it's like uh, some people, some people would say like his friends would say, he said this to me right before then, you know, like things like that. Where My, my story has a lot of that too. Don't yeah. worry. Cause it's like, there's a, well, it's just, yeah, it's people accounts, which is, you know, yeah. maybe it's factual. Maybe it's just fun. So Mark Bolin was not born. Mark Bolin. Shock. Oh, oh my God! He was born Mark Feld, and I was calling him Field all day. So Mark Bolin's cool. Mark Feld. <laughs> he was born uh, September thirtieth, nineteen forty-seven, in uh, Stoke Newington, the borough of Hackney, London. And he ended up moving to Wimbledon, which we all know for the famous tennis yeah, tournament Wimbledon. Uh, in Southwest London. That's when he kind of fell in love with rock and roll, and he was into those like f- those fifties guys, like Eddie Cochran. And uh, Elvis Presley oh, yeah. and all those guys, and you can really hear it in in like T Rex's music. There's a really raw, like primal '50s rock and roll feel. Well, to and their that kind music. of driving guitar, like the quick. Yeah, you know what I mean. But yeah. also just like the one, four, five chord progressions. Yeah. And really, for me, it's like the rhythm and the beat, like He's got fat beats. Yeah, his drummer Bill Legend. Um, so he got his first guitar at age nine and he, he always said, he's like, he's like, I always wanted to be a star, whether it was, uh, on my little street in London or, you know, in the whole world, I always wanted, I was always a star. He said, cause I think he, someone asked him like, what's it like being a star? He's like, I was always a star, but it might've just been for three streets. (laughs) What was his birthday? Um, his birthday was September 30th. Okay, I think he's a Libra. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, what that I thought means. I'm like she sounds like a Leo. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <clears throat> so he oh, first started or, playing yeah, guitar yeah. in a little band called uh, Susie and the Hula Hoops, and this was with a 12-year-old Helen Shapiro, who was kind of like a teen sensation in the UK. And I listened to her today. She's actually really good. She's like 14 years old, and she's belting. She has one of those like low, raspy voices, and uh, you know she was doing that. Uh, kind of stuff like uh my boyfriend's back in there like it's kind of like that vibe you know but she's like i think her hit was uh don't treat me like a child which is funny because she's 14 when she came out with it it's like well you are a child but (laughs) 
Uh, it was a big hit, and she kind of burned out like after three years. Once the teenage thing was over, and the Beatles started coming up, it was like she was kind of like a relic, you know? It was yeah, like, there's oh, that a lot kind of those rock little, and roll is those girl now. groups, yeah, bands. But he uh, played guitar. That was his first band he was in. Um, he got kicked out of school at age 15. He was expelled. Whoa. So he's what, like a freshman, sophomore? I don't yeah. really know how the British school system works. No, this works. is true. Sorry. <laughs> We're translating. I'm translating he's to our 15. high school. But yeah, yeah 15, 15 is freaking young. And uh, they said he was uh, headbutting people. <laughs> Just walking <laughs> up to really him in the... They called it nutting, and I was like, "That sounds horrible." No, <laughs> like, it's not that. That's not a good expression <laughs> at all. Come on, guys. And I was, so I googled. I was like, "It can't mean obviously, you know, anything bad." So I looked it up, and it apparently nutting in the UK is when you like walk around and headbutt people or headbutt things. Is that like a? It sounds like it comes from like rugby culture. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's it, like weird. You know, it's like your head is your nut or whatever, and you're like. That seems like a people. yeah, it's a bad idea. But he got, apparently the principal, he went to the principal's office, and the principal like wanted to shake his hand or something, and instead he headbutted his hand. That's uh, what I read. So he got expelled. Wow, they <laughs> were like, you know what? That's the last straw. That's Mark the last Bullard, straw. Mark Feld, he cannot headbutt people. <laughs> so naturally, after you get expelled from school, you start working as a model. And uh, that's what he yes. did. He has a beautiful face. If you've seen him, he's like very... His bone structure's insane. Very nice bone structure. Yeah. And uh, he was he was like one of those mod models, you know, the mod look with like the oh, turtleneck cool. and the tight, all that kind of stuff. Uh, he was... He did... Uh, he was a, mo- a mod model for, I think, uh, a clothing line and also like cardboard cutouts, like in windows and stuff that you <laughs> see. Oh, so there'd be like little cardboard cutouts of... Like life-size cardboard cutouts of him? Yeah. I mean, for him, it would wow. still be a tiny cut- like cutout because he was a little <laughs> dude, but... He's a little guy? <laughs> yeah. Aww. And at that point, uh, he started being hugely... Well, he, he, uh, he recorded like a little bit at that point, like a really straight-up 50s song. Uh... From it sounded like this dude Cliff Richard, who is uh, basically the British Elvis, and oh. uh, it sounded just he hadn't found his sound yet. Let's just put it that way. It was like him emulating one of those fifties rock and roll guys in like yeah. a ballad type thing. Oh, um, <clears throat> but eventually he uh, he heard Bob Dylan. So this fifteen, I guess that was the early sixties, sixty two, sixty three, yeah. sixty four. Yeah. So he was about 16, 17 at the time. He started listening to Bob Dylan a lot. And he has a ton of songs, uh, early, early songs that sound way too much like Bob Dylan. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I'd love to hear that. Is it like acoustic guitar, like yeah, folky stuff? acoustic guitar. Oh, interesting. I think of him as so... He has a quote. Yeah. It, it inspired him to start writing songs because he's like talking about Bob Dylan. If he can sing like that and play guitar, then I'm good. <laughs> that's how I felt. <laughs> that's how I felt about uh, Kurt Cobain. No shade. It's just, it's just you hear someone who like is clearly not a virtuoso guitar player and not a virtuoso singer, and they're able to make incredible music. You're like, well, fuck, if they can do it, why not me? I think he's. I think Bob's inspired a lot of people to write um, because they could see like, oh, music doesn't have to um, have guitar playing or singing first. It can have songwriting first. Yeah. Yeah. Inspired me for sure. Well, at this point <clears throat> is when he changed his name to Mark Bolin because there's a lot of different reasons why they say he did it. It's uh, one of the, again one of those things that's not quite confirmed. The overarching story though 
is that he liked to like slip into p- characters. Aww. Like when he was growing up, he watched uh, Mighty Joe Young, which was like kind of a claymation, uh, basically King Kong story. Mighty Joe Young is like very similar to King Kong, I think, like a big ass gorilla. Like a British King Kong? I don't know. If it's, <laughs> I don't know if it's just British, but for some reason he really identified with this like Mighty Joe Young character. Okay. So he it made him feel more powerful. So he would like slip into these characters and uh, it's only natural that he would change himself from Mark Feld to Mark Bolin. Um, according to some people, he, uh, he, uh, it was a like combination between Bob Dylan's name and Donovan's name, which was like, he was really oh, into. There was another, uh, another one was, it was uh, derived from James Bolum. Which is a contraction of Bob Dylan, and according to Mark himself, he said that Decca Records just chose the name for him. So <laughs> He's like, "You guys are overthinking this." <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but I, as it way, tends to go. Yeah, yeah. He changed his name to Mark Bolin, and that's like his name. That's yeah. what he is now. Um, so he ended up getting into this really mod rocky like rock and roll band called John's Children. And they were like, think the Who, like a real basic B-word version of the Who, <laughs> like, and that's what they were. Their songs weren't great, but they were really high energy. Yeah. Like stage performance-wise, they would go out there and like roll around on the ground. You know, I don't think they would smash their instruments because at the time they were opening for the Who, and I know the Who wouldn't put up. Oh, with they that literally shit. opened for the Who. They literally opened for the Who. Yeah. The Who was like, they sound like a basic version of us. <laughs> they are a basic version of us. Yeah, yeah. They'll warm it up, and then we'll hit it out of the park. So he kind of came out of his shell performance-wise playing with them because he had to. Like everyone was so high energy and intense yeah. that he kind of picked up that persona. And he had some pretty, I think it was probably, a he didn't, I mean, at, so he had recorded some like really uh, corny like 50s songs and then he recorded some solo Bob Dylan-y songs that were good but they didn't sell at all. So then he was in John uh, John's Children who was also, they were managed by the same person. <clears throat> and... After he, they got back from a tour with John's children, Mark Boland w- just wasn't into it. He said some stuff along the lines of, a lot of people uh, who aren't very good at music think that their like, bad songs are really good, or that their music, or people who write bad songs think they're musical geniuses in the direction of John's children. So throwing a little shade at wow. his, uh, his ex-bandmates. I mean, you got, maybe when you got to break away, you got to kind of leave on that kind of note where you're... I don't know. It's like when people break up and they're like, fuck that person. You know, like yeah. you almost have to, it's almost part of getting over it or over the band or over, I, dude, over the experience. That, you kind of have to, it's, pe- it's a weird thing. I don't know if I I never like it when like people it. say that. Like if I was like, let's say I was dating someone. No, I never and they're like, yeah. like, And they're like, man, yeah, she was a bitch. Good job. And you're like, dude, like we dated for real long. Like, what are you talking about? You no, know? It's, I don't think it's, yeah. I don't think it's a good thing. It's I never think, a good thing. I think for some people it's like processing or like when, you know how like when a a friend is moving away, you know, it's more likely for them to like get in a fight with people. Like, have you heard that? Like when some, when somebody's leaving, there's like anxiety and tension around it. So it turns to like maybe like a, I don't know, like a confrontation or, but it's all just very underlying and yeah. I don't know. It's weird psychology, but yeah, yeah maybe he felt Something. like he had to reject them is what yeah. I'm saying. He had to like fully reject them and be like, I'm done with that. And yeah. I don't like it. And shade. So pretty much right after his last tour with them, he ended up seeing Ravi Shankar. Oh, I'm shit. not if you're familiar with him at all. Is he the dad of 
he was like the dude who brought like Eastern music to to the West, basically. Like, isn't he Nora Jones's dad? Am I wrong? I have no idea. I swear. It feel like you could be wrong, but you should look that up. I, I mm-hmm. yeah, and if I'm wrong, then he just... was a sitar player, dude, who got the Beatles all like. I was gonna say I know he got like the Beatles and shit. into um. Yeah, he got George Harrison into playing the sitar. I'm pretty sure. Um, and all those dudes, like, there's a sitar and painted black. Oh, you're right. Nora Jones' dad, yeah. Little fun aside, um, Ravi I was supposed, I bought tickets to see Ravi Shankar in UCSB uh, when I was attending school there. And uh, I think it was like 2010 or so, maybe yeah. 2011. Sounds about and right. And he last second couldn't, couldn't play because he was too sick. And his other daughter who plays uh, sitar, sitar and stuff showed up. Oh, wow. He ended up dying, like. Two years later, December 11th, Aww. in 2012, in La Jolla, California. Basically, San Diego. So, uh, basically, seeing Ravi Shankar, and at that time, Ravi was touring around, and they did the... If you've ever seen a sitar player, they kind of sit cross-legged on the floor, and they have the sitar, and they, like, you know, kind of sing. Seen a, I've seen Giselle play it in person, and it's gnarly looking. But she's <laughs> cross-legged, right? Yeah, like, she's, you sit I, on the floor cross-legged and it's like, yeah. Yeah, I played for it, or I played it for a little bit in college and they were just, they would not let me like not sit cross-legged with it, but it's a really uncomfortable position to sit in. My lower yeah. back was still messed up from my car accident, so it was like oh, yeah. really brutal for me to play. You, you have to have like crazy, crazy good posture, but then also your left hand is way up on that totally. big neck, so... So he saw this setup of Ravi Shankar and this guy. He's not playing the bongos. It's a different kind of, uh, I think it's like Indian drum. I'm not sure what it's called, like tablas or something like that, maybe. Uh, Uh, Sounds, I can't remember exactly. Um, But what Boland did is he took basically a lot of the songs that he was now writing and working on. He was so eclectic, too. Um, He was writing, you know, Bob Dylan songs. He was writing 50s songs. He was writing the Who style songs. Yeah. And it all came together. And he started playing acoustic guitar, cross-legged, with a little microphone in front of him, just like Ravi Shankar, Aww. with a bongo player. And you've heard those... And this was uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex, his band. That was what they were called? Yeah, they were called Tyrannosaurus Rex. And, and they were touring like, all over the place. <laughs> and they were killing it. Like People were, were so thrilled with them. They like hit the right genre at the right time, yeah. finally. Yeah. And they had the best look, and his lyrics were all mystical and crazy. <laughs> uh, yep. And a lot of like his mystical lyricism came from him being a huge fan of J.R.R. Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings series. Oh, how cool. Just like uh, Led Zeppelin was like a big fan of those books too. Oh, that yeah, no, yeah. I know. I think I knew that. But he would create these characters through his lyrics and he actually released a book of poetry too um, called The Warlock of Love. Oh, and it was like the highest selling poetry book in London at one point or, your, or the UK at one point. Damn. But, uh, yeah, he, he actually even told, he, like, J.R.R. Tolkien was so important to him. He told his manager, he's like, if we're going to continue to work together, you have to understand me and you have to read all you of You have to read all of it? <laughs> you have to read all of The Lord oh of the Rings. Oh, my gosh. So he made his manager read all of The Lord of the Rings. Aww. Um, <clears throat> but he found a way to combine this, uh, this great lyricism that he got from, like, Bob Dylan and a way to, like, plaster all these words together and, like, really quick... Uh, you know, really quickly in a row, and they like have these great rhyme schemes, like similar to Bob Dylan. Yeah. This mystical, like fantasy world of J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah. Uh, 50s 
like rock and roll Rhythm. beats. Yeah. And and then eventually he uh, picked up the electric guitar Finally. to kind of modernize the sound. And that's when T-Rex happened. He had all the, everything perfectly came together by 1970. He had uh, married this woman who became his manager or one of his managers or handlers or something as well. Mm. <clears throat> and he started touring with uh, T-Rex and they released a Ride a White Swan. In, right uh, white swan exactly, yeah, it's a great song, and that was in 1970. God, so June Ellen Child was his longtime girlfriend. Uh, they married on January 30th, 1970, and uh, T uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex became T Rex with uh, Mickey Finn on percussion. I think that was the guy he was playing with Tyrannosaurus Rex with uh, Steve oh, Curry probably. on bass and Bill Legend on drums, and that was nice. T Rex. So he's the only guitar player, huh? Only guitar player. Nice. Really good guitar wow. player, Wow. Yeah, he is. Um, <clears throat> so Rider White Swan was a breakthrough that peaked at number two on the UK charts. Damn. So they, they told a story where they were like in this breakfast spot. They were, trying to f they were like drinking tea and they like used to pour all their change on the table and see how much food they could get that day. Aww. And uh, they were there when they learned that their song had reached number two. And they oh, that's were, great! And then they were so stoked. They yeah. were like, they realized that finally they had, you know, realized their potential and their dreams. Labor of love pays of off. It's beautiful moment. Yeah, yeah. beautiful moment. And uh, they started selling tons of records. Like at one point, they were selling sixty thousand records a day. What? Yeah, just <laughs> they were a massive. I cannot explain to you that's how so many massive they were at, in UK at the time. Yeah, they were. The biggest act in the UK at the time. They were huge. What uh, year is it again? When this is 1970 Swan? that White Swan came out. And then by 1971. Oh, it's he, early. Okay. Yeah, he early was 70s. on Top of the Pops. And uh, they were filming Hot Love. You know that song? Dun, yeah. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, you're my woman of gold and you're not. So they were doing that song. And this is when the first time he appeared with glitter down his face. Aww. Underneath his eyes. And he also was kind of dressed a, a little bit androgynous in his dress, like his outfit. You know, he had like those power shoulders that go out. Yes. And like, uh, they're all pointy. And then he had like r really tight form fitting and traditionally feminine colors like pink and yellow and stuff like that. And uh, really tight bell bottoms, long, long hair. And uh, this is what kicked off what was known as the glam rock movement. And Mark Bolin is undoubtedly the pioneer of the glam rock movement. Him and David Bowie were contemporaries. Yeah. Oh, they were. I was going to ask. came out and did that whole look, that whole glittery, the kind of androgynous kind and of thing. And then Jagger comes along oh, a little yeah. later, right, and does the same yeah, thing. Yeah, But uh, But, uh, yeah, Mark Bolin and Bowie were actually friends. There's a funny uh, video oh, of good. them together singing. I think it was on Top of the Pops as well. It could be maybe another show, but basically they're singing this song together. Uh, it's a Bowie song. I want to say it's uh, shit. What is that one? He maybe it's we can be here. No, that's probably we too late. Anyway, it's probably not that one. But they're singing a Bowie song together, and Mark Bolin leaves the stage, and he trips and falls off the stage, and the whole band stops, and David Bowie starts laughing, <laughs> and uh, they didn't have time to film another one. So they just, <laughs> you can find it on YouTube. It's super funny. Mark oh, Bolin, rock concert. We gotta throw that yeah, in there. Eating shit off. Of the Get it on stage. the rotation. Anyway, uh, so yeah, this was the whole glam rock movement. You can, I think, 
I think it's fair to say that he was the pioneer of the glam rock movement, at least the way that everyone looked. And he became an absolute megastar at this point in the UK. He yeah. hadn't quite gotten to the United States yet, I don't think. But women were obsessed with him. He'd play concerts and the entire you know crowd would be female and they'd all be screaming. It was like the Beatles in the freaking mid-60s, you know? Uh, he and he really like kind of bucked the lines of what masculinity was in rock and roll. Like, what yeah. was this masculine masculinity, and what was appropriate, and what he he really did a, was one of the first people who really like blurred all of those lines. Uh, his massive hit that came out, the biggest hit he ever had was "Bang a Gong." Get it on to this day, yeah. Get it on, Absolutely. bang a gong. I think it is, uh, and it's a great song. One of my favorite ones. It has that. That real great rock and roll guitar, dun 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 dun, yeah. And then, and then the Bill Legend drums. It's got a fat drum. Yeah, Bill Legend is an awesome drummer. But um, Mark Bolin, kinda, I think he kind of let the fame get to his head a little bit. He's had a lot of blow-ups with his band, uh, especially in France when they recorded the Slider. Oh that yeah, record. yeah, that's yeah. Apparently, they recorded that album uh, in two days, uh, seventeen songs How in two days. Much cocaine? Are you needing? <laughs> what? I mean, Bolin showed up drunk from the very minute. So how do you do that? And they recorded. I mean, we recorded what was it? Three, four songs a day for three days, and it felt brutal. Yeah, I mean, you have to do. We did each song maybe 10, 12 times. So they did live eight altogether. and a half songs a day, and they did all of it. They didn't just do the skeleton; they did like everything. Yeah, like we added stuff later. They did it all. And apparently, he was being a real dick to everybody. He was being a dick to uh, the the roadie guy, and the roadie guy like flipped out on him. Um, so he, I think, he started to really become this alter ego, this glam rock, rock and roll god. And uh, yeah. maybe it got to his head a little bit um, because eventually the vintage T-Rex lineup kind of disintegrated. And uh, Bill Legend left in 1973, Ooh. Finn left in 1975, and then his marriage came to an end because he was having an affair with his backup singer, Gloria Jones. Um. Um, but it was true love because he had a uh, son with her very soon after. And his name is Roland Bolin. I love it. Stop it. <laughs> oh, that's my favorite part of the story so Rolling far. Roland Bolin. He's a good-looking <laughs> kid. He, there's pictures of him. That's pretty great. Um, so, basically, there's this huge fireball that just got caught for the last four years or so. He was For four years, he was the biggest thing in London. He had a few cross-the-pond uh, cross hits uh, to the United States, at most notably Bang a Gong. And uh, then on... September 16, 1977. Bolin was riding in a mini 121, sorry, how do you say this? 1275, 1275 GT. Jeez. I'm not a car person, in a so mini, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> driven by Miss Gloria Jones. They headed home from Morton's Drinking Club um, and Restaurant in Berkeley Square, and she crossed this bridge near, uh, I guess, where is it? Southwest London, uh, near Barnes, and they struck a it was a steel reinforced fence post. Huh. And then they hit a tree, a sycamore tree. And uh, Bolin was killed instantly. 
Wow. Uh, Gloria Jones fractured her jaw. Where does it say here? She fractured her jaw. Oh, how tragic. And she was driving. Yeah. Oh, you have to live with that. Yeah. Broken arm, too. Oh. I mean, there were the who's who of people were at his funeral. David Bowie, of course. Rod Stewart. His uh, producer, I think. Tony Visconti. Steve Harley. Uh, they had, like, this these floral arrangements of like this giant swan for to pay tribute to ride white swan oh that's really beautiful and uh now the the crash site kind of turned into this you know like you see with a lot of car accidents like it's like this tribute to him and a lot of people hated that tree for a long time apparently people were like fucking with that sycamore tree for a long time oh, yeah. but it's more now like a testament to him and like a memorial for him oh it's still there yeah it's amazing still there. Um, the site is referred to as Mark Boland's Rock Shrine. Uh, oh. So, anyway, he unfortunately, like I said, died instantly. But I think it's fair to say that even though it was a very short, short uh, time in the spotlight, his, his star burned like really, really hot. Um, he died at the age of 29, just a few I weeks before ask. his uh, 30th birthday. Ooh. So, pretty insane. Uh, they're really close to their house. Did you already say that when they were driving? They were. They were. Cl- I don't know if they're. I think they were driving. Uh, yeah, they're headed home. Uh, they had met this lady who was a nightclub singer. Her name was uh, Vicky Aram, mm. and she was following them. And she was the first one on the scene. And she she was with some other guy. Oh, and, um, interesting. That guy was all, you know, freaking out that uh, Mark Boland was trying to get, was trying to help him. But she said she knew immediately that Mark, Mark Boland was he's dead. He's passed away. So that gets me to the next phase, the kind of more creepier, interesting phase of this. Now that yeah. we know who Mark Boland is and yeah. his impact, he was also kind of a weird uh, prophet of sorts about his own, his own life and his own potential eventual demise. For exa- so there's a lot of examples, and we're going to call them coincidences. And like I said earlier, a little none of them are rooted in hard facts except for maybe one. But the other ones are kind of more hearsay, like, you know, his friends said this, his friends said he did that, you know. And also his early lyrics, which are kind of interesting and creepy. Ooh, so, all right. The first coincidence, it's not a crazy one, but he never learned to drive because he was always scared of dying prematurely and he always thought he would die in a car accident. I mean, that's pretty, pretty yeah. huge. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the first one is uh, called The Painting Coincidence. So there was this painting uh, by Rene Margretti, um, M-A-R-G-R-I-T-E-E, I feel like it's Oh, French Magritte? Magritte? Do you, yeah. Can you help me out with this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, and it's called The 16th of September. It's painted in 1957, so long before Mark Boland was a thing. Um, if you look at it, it's like, it's Mark really fucking creepy. Old. You should pull it up on your phone right now so you can see it. What's it called? It's called 16th September Painting. 16th September. It's a giant tree with a moon in it. And it's called the 16th September. So legend has it that Mark went to the Louvre during his last tour of France. And he stared at this particular painting for, they say, hours. I imagine it was probably 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. 20 minutes. Oh. But 
whether or not Creepy. it's true that he stared on it, let's look at let's look at the facts. It's called the 16th of September. Mark Boland died on the 16th of September. There's no a fucking giant way. fucking tree in the painting with a moon in it. He yeah. crashed into a tree during yeah. this. Wow, that's really creepy. And want to know what's... Even if it's not true that he went to the Louvre and stared at this painting, want to know what is super fucking creepy? You look it's at all creepy, the way that moon looks. Yeah. It's in the exact same phase as it was that night that he died. Whoa. The moon that night looked exactly the same as that moon. And I know because I looked it up to make sure, and it creeped me out. It gave me goosebumps when I looked at Oof. it. So whether or not he really went to the Louvre or anything like that, this is still a painting called the 16th of September with a giant tree on it, the exact same phase of the moon, on the, and it's titled the exact same day that he died. Wow. So that's the first coincidence. It's the painting. Jeez. Magritte, by the way, um, just to put him in context, is the guy that does the painting of the guy in the top hat with the apple in front of his face. Oh. Yeah, that's Magritte. He does a lot of like surrealist kind of stuff where it'll be like a daytime sky, but then a house where it's like nighttime or so, stuff like that. Like he just plays with um, kind of surrealism. And then, yeah, so that painting, it's like a tree and it's nighttime, but the moon, instead of being in the sky, it's like within the tree. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really simple Magritte. I've never seen it. I wish I knew it was at the Louvre. Um, but yeah, that's really creepy. I wonder if he called it that because he painted it on the 16th of September and that's how the moon looked. And then 20 so years later, that's how the moon looked because of that time of the year. Does that make sense? Yeah, it kind of makes... Uh, but it's still creepy that it's the same day that... Yeah, and the tree and the... I wonder so, what kind of tree it is. So, yeah, it looks kind of like a pine tree or something. It looks kind of like a giant Christmas tree, yeah, but... So another one is the James Dean coincidence. Um, and it's not so much about James Dean, it's just what he said. His manager tells him that uh, he always fancied like Chet Baker and James Dean as, as his heroes. He, and he, uh, the, the manager said, well, careful having James Dean as a hero because he might end up dying in a Porsche. And he said, oh, what? I'm just tiny. So this is Mark Bolin replying, oh, I'm just tiny. I'd prefer to die in a Mini. And he, of course, did die in a Mini. Whoa. So there's another kind of prophecy kind of thing. So uh, maybe he didn't say that. Maybe he did. But that's legend has it. That's what his manager is sticking to, his guns and saying he said. So there's a second one, a little damn. prophecy about his uh, little coincidence. The next one is the poem. The poem is titled Sycamore of Sorrow. And he crashed into a sycamore tree and is died. Is that, that a Mark Boland poem? Yeah, it's a Mark Boland poem what? titled Sycamore of Sorrow. He uh, died crashing into a sycamore tree. One of the lyrics is, I'm praying I'm swallowed in the swell of your yelling leafy beast. Swallowed into the tree. What the fuck? And he died crashing into a tree. And then 30 years later, 35 years later, it came to light that he didn't actually die crashing into the tree. He died immediately crashing into the fence post because they realized he had a really, uh, a really, he had a fatal wound from one of those eye bolts from the fence <gasps> going into his head. Oh. So people want to, anything about the tree, people want to be like, no, it's not about the tree because the tree didn't kill him. He still crashed into a tree. But he ended up in a tree. in the same poem, Sycamore of Sorrow, there's a line. The line is, stake me with steel for my naughtiness. No. Yes. <laughs> in the same poem. No. Stake me with steel. So the steel oh, post killed him. Chills. Yeah. So there's another one. He wrote that poem what probably the in the mid-60s, and that happened in... He died in 1977. Wow. Um, 
the fourth coincidence is uh, his song, Solid Gold, Easy Action. It includes the line, easy as picking foxes from a tree. And this was written way early in his Tyrannosaurus Rex days. Uh, so it's called Solid Gold, Easy, easy Action. Easy as picking foxes from a tree is one of the lines. Which is not, doesn't sound like a expression. No. Right? He's just easy making, as that's picking coming out foxes of his from a tree. Psyche. Well, if you look at the number plate, a.k.a. the license plate of the Mini that he died in, the license plate was FOX661L, FOX661L, that they picked from the tree. <laughs> More creepiness. What and again, this, this, these are lyrics that he wrote long before he died. You know, he didn't, uh, I mean, obviously, don't write lyrics after you die, but I don't, like, I don't know where that would come from. It's just, uh, again, a creepy coincidence yeah. with his lyricism. Um, and it's a, like I said, it's not like an expression, like you know what I mean. Yeah. Like it's it's something that he made up. Yeah. Just so why did he make that head. up? Yeah. He's just. And then here's another creepy thing. Before he ever met his backup singer, he had a song, and again, it's Tyrannosaurus Rex days, called Mrs. Jones. Mrs. Jones, Gloria Jones, is the one who was driving the car when right. he died. The lyrics are as follows. How long will it take you to know what I've been through? An awful lot of worry. If you don't believe my words, ask Mrs. Jones. And don't get the wrong impression of Mrs. Jones. And it's like he's trying Aww. to like save her from blame, you know? Like if you look at it that way, like in, in a couple ways in yeah. being the other woman and then in Don't in get the wrong impression of Mrs. Jones. Ooh. Uh, and then the next lyric is she is the nicest little woman you could wish to know. So Aww. It's just creepy that he had this song about like, you know, pain, like I've been through an awful lot of worry and uh, don't get the wrong impression of Mrs. Jones, even though she's the one who's driving the car when I die. You know, like yeah. it's kind of creepy that he wrote a song about Mrs. Jones when uh, Gloria Jones was the one who ended up killing him. Oh, and then she had to live with it. That's awful. But yeah. Ugh. And my notes are a little... Uh, hazy on this uh i think he was right i want to say this song was called gloria and in the lyric so the song gloria gloria jones yeah because the road i'm on won't run me home whoa uh, yeah and that's in the song i'm pretty sure that's the song gloria um I had my notes. That's a later song that he writes when he meets her, maybe? I don't think he wrote it when he meets her. I think that's another early song. Weird. But, uh, yeah, Gloria, because the road I'm on won't run me home. And, of course, he never got home that night. So he's like a little psychic. (laughs) It's just weird. And then uh, one of the the last ones about his uh, death is with Elvis, one of his main idols growing up. Uh, and apparently when Elvis died, Mark said, oh, man, I'm glad we didn't die on the same day because then I'd be on the third page, like talking about how he'd be completely forgotten. Yeah. And uh, they did end up dying on the same day, but it was the 16th. It wasn't the same exact day. Elvis died on August 16th, and then a month later, Mark Boland died on the 16th of September. So Whoa. <laughs> they so same die. year, a month apart. Yeah, same oh, okay. year, a month apart. Um, wow, well, I didn't realize... They passed away the same, at the same time. That, that didn't, wow, interesting. I guess Elvis was so much past his prime that... Well, there's another lyric that's similar. Uh, 
his uh, last single, Celebrate Summer, includes the line, Summer is, se- is Heaven in 77. I don't think it's that crazy because he didn't technically die in the summer. He uh, did, you know, die in 77, but he could have written the song in 77. So it's like, it makes sense, you know. But uh, yeah, the picking foxes from a tree, that one creeped me out bad. I don't so, know, the Magritte painting creeps me out pretty bad. Yeah, that one's pretty bad, too. Uh, <laughs> All so of it is, yeah. When he was driving home the night he died, it was Vicky Aram, the former nightclub singer, who Behind them, apparently yeah. they were all talking like, oh, we should do some music projects together. She was following him. Gloria Jones crashed into the fence post and then into the tree. And, uh, yeah, he this, this uh, Vicky Aram person was one of the only witnesses of the car accident. So, one last creepy coincidence for everybody. Yay. In a creepy little parallel to uh, Boland's death. Uh-oh. Ms. Aram, on the way to go to the, it's the, the Boland's inquest. It's like a little jury panel thing. It's like a legal proceeding called an inquest. Uh, when she was on her way to give her, you know, perspective, her witness statement at the inquest, she crashed into a tree. What? Yeah. I think she survived. Oh. uh, (laughs) On the way to talk about Mark Boland crashing into a tree, she crashed into a tree. Uh, Yeah. Damn. And those are the creepy coincidences of Mark Boland's death. Holy shit. You like said like on one of the earlier podcasts, you said like two of them and I was got the chills. I didn't realize there were like so many. No, there's a shit ton of them. Great job. I mean, a lot of them are hearsay and stuff, but. Yeah. Anyway, let's take a little break. We're going to set up your mic stand. And then we're uh, going to get into my We're going to regroup. And then we're going to get into, what's yours again? A little cliffhanger? Sid and Nancy. Sid and Nancy, baby. All right, here we go. It's just a big bummer all around. (laughs) (laughs) Really is. Just get ready. And we're back. We're back. So just to fact check what I just said, the song is even creepier than I thought it was. Oh, it's even better. I'm so (laughs) glad you looked. The song was recorded in his early Bob Dylan era from 1964 1968 and the song is called the road i'm on parentheses gloria Uh, and the hook of the song is you gave me reason now i've got to roam because the road i'm on gal won't run me home he's like a little fortune teller it's crazy but it's insane i was telling you today like Going through all the Mark Boland shit and all the T-Rex stuff, it made me... I turned into one of those 15-year-old girls at his concert because I freaking love T-Rex. They're so unique to this day. Like, they're so... I Yeah, I love... They're so fucking well, groovy they're, and they're wonderful. Well, they're a huge influence on Radio Keys. The way that we do, like, a lot of the rock and roll shit. Like, it was a lot of Mark Boland and a lot of... Uh, like, the first one of the first songs I wrote, uh, Sticky Situation. Da-da-da. That main riff. Yeah. That's basically Ride a White Swan. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Oh. But yeah, Mark Boland is the man. Rest in peace. He, his legacy is is definitely, like, you, could, you couldn't say definitively that David Bowie would have had the career that he had and that, you know, the mid-level stones would have the career that they had. Yeah. Or maybe even that, like, Freddie Mercury would be able to be the guy that he was in Queen without someone like Mark Bolin blazing the trail blazing for the trail. all of them. So fucking Mark Bolin, rest in peace, shout out. He's yeah, incredible. Yeah, I have to Love go through a, Mark Bolin. 
I, I have to get a little credit today because we were texting back and forth and I'd already told you a few days ago, I'm like, hey, I think I might, might do Sid and Nancy, but it might be too much, you know? Um, and then you were like, okay, well, I'm going to pick a story too, but it'll be a secret. And I'm like, well, that's not fair because you know what I'm doing. And then I was like, okay, I'll guess what you're going to do. <laughs> and then I was like, is it T-Rex? <laughs> Mark Bolin conspiracy? Like, and you were like, damn it. Well, I, I knew I had an inkling you would do that because, well, you also gave me a hint. You're like, it's spooky. And I'm like, oh, it's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be that. Cause you've talked about doing it a few times. So I had a little hint. Um, but yeah, so we can, uh, we can dive in. So disclaimer, I don't claim to be a fucking expert on punk rock music. So we're going to have fun with it. Um, None of us are. But yeah, but if, yeah, if I say something daft about punk rock, I'm so sorry. I will say too, like I was, um, so I watched. God, I haven't heard the word daft used. I've been watching British people talk for like all day. <laughs> so because I watched two documentaries on Sid and Nancy and then. Um, read a bunch of stuff, but yeah, everybody that's being interviewed um, has an accent, so I'm picking up some of their words. I almost had to put on uh, subtitles in one of the documentaries because these guys are like these kind of like old drug addled like 70s guys that are already kind of slurry yeah. and then they're like have a thick accent and then they're using crazy slang. So they're like, oh, and then we got it. Like, I can't, I won't do it. That's really offensive. But like, I just, I was like, what the fuck did he just say? And I have to go back. Um, Dude, I'm always doing <laughs> subtitles anyway. You should always have subtitles on for well, that, that, a deaf ass musician. Oh yeah. Subtitles all day. That movie, I always tell people that movie, The Witch, one of my favorite horror movies, watch it with subtitles. They're speaking English, but it's, I, it's so like of its like, yeah, anyway. Deaf creepy. Deaf really creepy. Creepier than Mark Bolin's death coincidence? So so looking at Sid and Nancy, I, I kind of want to do it because I have really never looked into it that much. Like, I just know it's one of those weird kind of rock and roll mysteries Rocky where Ro somebody ended up... Rock and roll up, Romeo and Juliet type yeah, stories, you know? Rock and roll mysteries that, like, her murder has never been solved. The case is closed, but it's never been, like, solved. Never been um, tried in court. Yeah, because um, it... Well, well, we'll get to it, but it just kind of closed itself. Um, and the police were like, it's done. The junkies are dead. Um, so I'll say like when I started looking at like both, first of all, they were 20 and 21 when they, when they died. So they were babies. God, that is so they young. They were so fun. I had no idea they were that young. He was 21. Young. He was 21 when he died a little bit later. She oh, was 20 okay. when she died. So that's so fucking young. So I'm just like, they're kids. So they're kids. Um... And then when you read about their, both of their separate childhoods, you're like, neither of them had a fucking fighting chance. Like, it's fucking sad. Um, so let's get into this bummer of a, of a story. Um, so I, I'll start with Nancy. Um, she's an interesting character. She's American. Uh, she's born in 1958 in Philadelphia. Um, and apparently young Nancy was a difficult baby. Uh, she'd throw crying fits and temper tantrums late into childhood. But this is kind of fucked up. She's like from baby anybody. Emily. Now this is this is <laughs> fucked up. At three months old, she was prescribed liquid barbiturates. Oh, what? <laughs> she was prescribed heroin three as a months baby. Old, as a baby, her mom's like she's crying way too much. I can't do this, and so they give her liquid barbiturates so that her quote unquote violent behavior persisted. Which uh, you can't even use that word. She's three months old. What are you fucking Dude, talking I wish about? Those this violent behavior. Given those kids at my concert some liquid barbiturates. <laughs> <laughs> Put those it's, kids that's down, just that man. sounds so. So this is 1958. I mean, but no excuses. Like, what the fuck? Like, anyway. 
Um, so as a kid, she was actually really, really smart. Uh, she got superior uh, on an intelligence uh, quotient test at age five. So she skipped some grades. She skipped third grade. Um, so she excelled really well in school. She was really smart, but she had no friends. So she was kind of socially weird because she'd been on drugs since she was three months old. I mean, <laughs> I, th- I like anything after that that I read about her. I'm like, well, fuck, she doesn't have a chance. Um, so she was temperamental. Um, her parents say she was violent, um, but sometimes it just sounds like an excuse for them to be just pumping her full of drugs. Um, but she did have some episodes. She was really uh, violent towards her sister and she allegedly threatened to kill a babysitter with scissors at one point. So she's acting out. Um, at age 11, she gets expelled from school and her parents just send her off to boarding school. That's um, two for two on our people, both expelled from school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 11. She's Mark 11 Bowen. years old. Um, she runs away Nancy. and attempts. So she's 11 and she runs away from the uh, private school. Divor- I can't even read it, so I'm not going to say it. Something manner. And attempts suicide by slitting her wrist with scissors. That's when she's 11. Yeah, I mean... She's, you know, maybe it's mental health issues. Maybe it's being pumped with fucking drugs from an infant age on. But like, anyway, so when she's 15, her psychiatrist diagnosed her as schizophrenic. Um, That's crazy. It's crazy. I know that back in the day, you might know about a little bit more about this than I do, but weren't a lot of people diagnosed schizophrenic even when they weren't schizophrenic? I just... Like and like, almost anything was schizophrenia back then. Maybe it was just like a catch-all term when it really could have just been depression or anxiety or like something like that. Um, Maybe. I I don't know if it was diagnosed too much or they just didn't quite understand it yet. But it sounds like, to me, it sounds like she was emotional and drugged. And yeah, I don't know. I just, I feel for her a lot. Um, So when later when people were like, yeah, she was kind of an asshole. I'm like, well, fuck, like she really didn't have a normal upbringing and neither did he. Um, so she actually does graduate high school in 1974, and then two weeks later, she applies to the University of Colorado, gets accepted, and she begins attending at age 16, so she's like a young college student because she's really smart. Um, but five months into freshman year, she gets arrested for purchasing marijuana from an undercover cop, and she eventually gets banned from the state of Colorado. I'm not sure how that snowballed. <laughs> Buying weed to not being able to be in Colorado. Colorado <laughs> now they're like, Yeah, they're like, oh. Oh. You're, you're banned if you don't have weed. <laughs> I know. I'm like, really? Um, so after being fired from her first job on the first day, she begins um, financing herself by stealing from her family and dealing drugs. Drugs. Um, she leaves home at uh, 17 and heads to New York City. Uh, she works as a stripper and apparently as a sex worker. Um, and she just starts kind of following bands. So she starts hanging out with Aerosmith, Bad Company, New York Dolls, and the Ramones. Um, and then in 1977, somehow she takes off and goes to London. Um, po- people think she was trying to track down Jerry Nolan of the the Heartbreakers, which I think is a completely separate band than Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like a punk band. All right. Um, but then she ended up meeting the Sex Pistols instead. Um, so now we're going to switch over, switch gears for a second, over to Sid. This is crazy. Uh, John Simon Ritchie is born May 10th, 1957. What's his name one more time? John Simon Ritchie. Where does Sid come out of this? Oh, you'll see. Okay. Um, May 10th, 1957. <laughs> that's three days after our mom was born. Oh. Yeah. It's funny to think of them as the same age. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he's born in Southeast London to um, John and Anne Ritchie. Uh, her mom was like a school dropout. 
um, kind of a loser, uh, went to join the British Army. She meets uh, Richie's father there. Um, and his father is a semi-professional trombone player on the London jazz scene. So he's actually a musician. Um, but he never really meets his dad because shortly after his birth, his dad bounces out. So he's raised with just his mom. Um, and by all accounts, his mom and Beverly is kind of a horrifying human being. Um, mm. she, uh, Liquid barbiturates? People call her an enabler. She apparently was providing Vicious with heroin as a teenager. Um, and... All the like his so he meets uh, John Lydon, Johnny Rotten, when they're like sixteen and seventeen, and Johnny Rotten's like, oh yeah, she was providing heroin for us, like to, to her sixteen-year-old, yeah, um, kids. So seems like a great solid mom, a role model. Uh, <laughs> and she, um, yeah, she's she that goes on for the rest of his short life. She's constantly providing him drugs, almost like. Like, oh, he's sick. He needs this kind you mean of like, creepy shit. Like with him? Like even when he was with Sex Pistols? Yeah. So, all right. So, Richie meets um, John Lydon, Johnny Rotten, in 1973 when he's 16. Uh, they're both students at Hackney Technical College. It's kind of funny to me that they uh, met in school. Is it? Is college is college or college is high school? This is so dumb. You mean in the UK? Yeah. Because they're 16 and 17. I feel like a technical college, that sounds like... Oh, it's like, like a tech school? Like, well, there wasn't like necessarily tech. I feel like a technical college would be like a blue-collar type thing. Yeah, where you're like learning a Let skill. Let it up. Yeah. Hackney Technical College. Um, so Johnny Rotten, or Leiden, uh, described Richie uh, as a David Bowie fan a David Bowie fan and a clothes hound. By the so, way, so he's really into fashion. London, that was where Mark Bolin was born. Kind no crazy. fucking yeah, way. We didn't even try to sync these up, but now we'll yeah, pretend like we go. did. <laughs> um, so by age 17, uh, Richie's hanging around London. Um, and he, at some point he meets American uh, expat Chrissy Hind uh, before she performs the pretenders and they become friends and she tries to get him to marry her. Um, so she could get a work permit in London, but it doesn't work out. Just a little fun fact. Um, and then he gets the name Sid Vicious uh, from Johnny Rotten because Johnny Rotten has a pet hamster named Sid, named after Sid Barrett, uh, who And bit that's the guitar player for, the, for, the, for Pink Floyd. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad you knew that because I was a little hesitant. The guy who went crazy. The guy who uh, oh. Sid Barrett lost his mind. <gasps> yeah. So his <laughs> so his pet hamster named Sid is apparently hold uh, uh, Sid Vicious is holding this hamster named Sid, and he bites him, and then he says Sid is really vicious, and <laughs> so they start calling him <laughs> Sid Vicious. I feel like that's almost a rumor, but that's that's apparently how how he got his name. That's Sid, how he got his Sid he got really bit vicious. by a hamster, and he's like Sid is vicious. Sid is vicious, and then boom, Sid Vicious is born. Which yeah, sounds nothing like John Simon. Vi- you gotta say though, Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious are some badass like Dude, pseudonyms. They're, they're pretty badass. Yeah. Um, I wish I had a cool name like that. <laughs> um, so he starts his music career, Sid Vicious, um, 1976, as a member of the Flowers of Romance, uh, playing vocals and saxophone. I'm like, what? Um, along with a uh, former co-founding member of The Clash, Keith Levine, but they never play live. And then he appears with, um, s- I can't pronounce this, S-I-O-U-X, S-I-E, Suixi and the Banshees, playing drums. It might um, be Suixi. Su- oh, you're right, it's Suzy. Yeah, X is, like, X is just I'm just thinking about off. the, the, the uh, Native American tribe, the Sioux. 
S I O U X. Yeah, right? Susie and the Banshee. So he's playing drums. So he's it sounds like, kind of sounds like they're just plugging him in with whatever. They're like, you're gonna sing here, you're gonna play drums here, um, and then. Well, I can't decide what I want to talk about first. So he is going to join the Sex Pistols, but I think I think I'll talk about the Sex Pistols first, and then I'll get into a little um, into little more background about Pistols. Sid. Okay, so Sex Pistols actually formed in 1972, um, but it's not until 75 when their manager Malcolm McLaren brings Johnny Rotten in, uh-huh. John Lydon, and he comes a lot. Of, so people have said that the Sex Pistols are like a manufactured band, and yeah. I think some of it's because. Malcolm McLaren, the uh, manager, brought in John Lydon and said, hey, your name's Johnny Rotten now. Stuck him in the band. Um, and then the band took off, and he also plugged in Sid Vicious. Um, mm. So he was kind of, uh, yeah, what's the word? Um, controlling it a little bit. Um, I feel like that happened a lot in the UK because, like I was saying with Mark Boland earlier, like his manager was plugging him into yeah. John's children and, like, they, it was like, oh, you're not working on it as a Bob Dylan dude? Well, now you're going to be in John's you story. Do oh, this you're now. not you working on this? It. Well, now yeah, you're going to try I mean, this. Like, uh, like objectively, a good uh, a good manager, right? Yeah. Um, so in uh, 1976 is when they break into the mainstream with Anarchy in the, new ca- in the UK. Um, anarchy in the UK, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. I was actually, I was listening to the Sex Pistols last night. Um, I was really digging it. They've got some like, it's kind of like just sh- like dirty rock and roll, almost like early go. Like, it's like, yeah, Detroit rock. Almost. Detroit rock. Yeah. But then the the vocals, I feel like, are what makes it punk rock. Yeah. Like the vocals are so like, and it's all in the uh, sound. Is like Emily the, getting into punk rock? I am. Oh my God. Well, it's funny because I was listening to it when I was cooking and Tom came in and he was like, oh, is this is Sex Pistols? And I was like, yeah. And he didn't know I was doing this podcast. And then he just starts singing along every word and i'm like you're full of surprises <laughs> so i'm just like what the fuck tom no tom's like i used to listen to a lot of the sex pistols and i'm just like damn they like, really only had that one album though right that uh was the only one. yeah uh never mind the bollocks never Here's mind the sex the bollocks. pistols yeah. great great name um, so a few months after they get big with Anarchy in the UK, uh, their bassist, uh, leaves after clashing with Johnny Rotten. Um, so in February of 77, John Ritchie, um, Sid Vicious, one of the group's earliest fans, apparently he was, he attended like every Sex Pistols show. Like he was like a huge, like who would that be for us? <laughs> like, be if, like mom. It's like if Tom leaves and we like pull like just our base. biggest, yeah, pull mom in and be like, well, you've seen every show. So you know our songs, right? So they pull, uh, Sid Vicious in. Um, and he joins the band despite not knowing anything about bass guitar. <laughs> so that's that's a fact. Did um, he play saxophone or whatever? Apparently, he played sax and vocals for so a, ho- a hot bit. second he's and drums. He's pl- and his dad was a musician, even though he didn't know him. Right. Yeah, so there's he's got like, it all. He's got an interest for it. Um, and again, he's watched every Sex Pistols show, so they're like, "You get it." <laughs> they're like, "You know the songs. You can figure it out." Yeah, for sure, not too hard. For sure, yeah. Um, so and they were they were really um like their manager says if Johnny Rotten is the voice of punk vicious is the attitude um and it's true uh, he says if he uh if he'd met vicious before he'd hired Rotten to be the lead singer then he would have had Sid Vicious be the lead singer uh, the Sex Pistols frontman cuz he was like embodied punk rock kind of in this like attitude and visual way um so he couldn't play well he had no bass experience so guitarist Steve Jones played bass on the entire band's debut, debut album, Never Mind the Bullocks, Here's a Sex Pistol, so he's not in the recordings at all. Mm. Um, and then Vicious appears on one song playing bass, and it's a song called Bodies. 
um, which he was allowed to play bass on, um, but later they overdubbed it. Um, so he's not, yeah, he's he's really like, I don't know, like a visual, like like almost like, a, I don't want to use. He's like a figurehead. He's like a figurehead. I don't want to use the word mascot because that sounds really silly, but. Yeah, yeah, it does, and that sounds terrible. But he's not—he's not a musician. He's—he's he's very much the a face of the band, which—which which is another argument why some people say it's a manufactured band. They're like, well, he wasn't even fucking playing bass. Like, yeah. they just looked cool, and they did—they looked very cool. He, um, did. he did look cool. Yeah. So, um, all right. So then I wanted to go back a little bit. Um, so before we get into uh, real quick about the yeah. Sex Pistols when they were yeah. getting big in the UK, they were like blacklisted and banned from like all these different radio stations and all because of their political oh because of the god save the queen or whatever the their lyrics bashing on the queen so they would blacklist them and shit from all the radio stations so they had this one stunt where they're like we're going to like rent this boat and like play a live concert going down. I forgot what the river's Aww. called. What's that main river that goes through London? Uh, does, the I, Thames or some shit. Like that, that sounds right. I don't know. Or is that fuck? No, that's got to be France. Huh? Fuck. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> they like got a boat and they were like tr- tr- uh, floating down just in that main stretch, like by the Tower of London. You it's know, just like you that. can't get us. Just like and playing. so they're just blasting their music like from this boat. And that was like one of their big things that they did to, they were super say, like, fuck the man super punk rock yeah. even like later on they get um into the rock and roll hall of fame and they like famously like don't go they, like <laughs> don't show up they're super punk rock anyway it's, they're like invented it it's really cute um so now i want to talk a little bit about uh sid vicious's uh violent behavior pre-meeting uh nancy and i'm not taking oh it is the the tame, tame oh god how do you say that tom the river th i think it's the thames thames so i again it's unsolved i'm i have no idea what happened that night but there's just some this is just some background on sid um he did have some pretty violent moments because um, uh, some one of the documentaries i watched like everyone was like he wouldn't hurt a fly and blah 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 and it's like he might not have killed nancy but it is a fact that he had he some flies. really violent like uh, instances so um so i guess when when sid vicious before he was in the sex pistols he was trying to audition for a band called the damned uh but he forgets to show up to the audition <laughs> and then uh and so they're like yeah he just didn't fucking important. show up um and then vicious later said that they had intentionally withheld information regarding the audition as an act of jealousy jealousy so that he wouldn't come and he wouldn't get a chance so he's really pissed off about that and he he holds this little grudge um and then later mm-hmm. it would become violent. Uh, so The Damned is performing um, at uh, the 100 Club Punk Special. Um, and an intoxicated amphetamine-fueled vicious hurls his glass at the stage. He's trying to hit um, Dave Vanian. I think that's the lead guy. Uh, as an act of retribution. But he misses and he, it shatters on a pillar and blinds a girl in one eye nearby by accidentally. That's fucked. So that sucks. Um, by all accounts, he liked to get into fights in general. Uh, <laughs> he was, as people said, uh, I, this is from one of the documentaries I watched. All his friends are saying he, he was just really extreme. Like he always took it a step further than it needed to go. Um, one of his old friends, Mark Helfund, said, this was really fucked up, and I won't get too detailed into it, but in one of the documentaries, um, there's this guy, and he seems visibly shaken when he's telling the story, and he's like, yeah, one night we're all hanging around um, this flat, kind of doing drugs and shit, and he's like, there was a cat in the flat, and out of nowhere, Sid Vicious like, um, 
put a noose around the cat and pulled it up and uh and hung it to death in front of everybody um and just had like no reaction to it psychopath right i was like oh cruel cruelty to animals Hmm." and like this it's this super like punk rock guy telling the story and he's just like to this day it haunts me that i didn't stop it but we were just all so fucked up and we were just like what's happening like yeah i'm having bad visuals i'm sorry i i I have to say that because like you just have to know like good evidence some facts about sid vicious because like Character reference. Not going to look yeah. good on that resume for yeah. the, for, for the yeah. band he wanted to he be. He did hurt flies and cats, which is he horrifying. Hurt cats, um, which is bad. My, my, their, the uh, Sex Pistols manager said about um, his violence uh, that Sid never saw a red light. Everything was green. Um, he would just do whatever he wanted. Um, some Somebody in the documentary described him as amoral. He didn't have a concept of what was good and what was bad. Um and then some of his friends are saying when we met his mother, they, they sort of understood why he didn't have this empathy, basically. Um, um, I mean, not to blame her, but she kind of sounds like a nightmare. Um, anyway, so that's a little history of his violence. Now we can just get into it. Um, so Sid and Nancy Jesus. meet. Um, so she arrives in... A, a, let's see. She kind of started um, in New York City as sort of like a, I hate the word, but a groupie. I'm trying to think of a better word. That's the only word. Um, she, But she wasn't like sort of this like typical like sexy like kind of groupie. She was more just like bringing everybody drugs and like partying and she was really like loud and like aggressive and like intense um, and really like I don't give a fuck attitude. Um, so a lot of people were a little afraid of her and a lot of bands like didn't really want her around. <laughs> <laughs> and they say it, they're just like, we just wanted to get rid of her. So when she meets Sid Vicious, everyone's like, we were just so happy that she was distracted by somebody else because we were just so sick of her. Um, so she meets, in 1977, she's at like, I think, a, a, some type of bar with the Heartbreakers. How old is she at this point? She's, uh, let's see, so she's born in 58. So she's 19, 19 yeah. 18 or um, 19. 18 or 19. Um, so she meets, uh, she's hanging with the Heartbreakers when she meets... Uh, John Simon Ritchie, uh, Sex Pistols bassist Sid Vicious. And she was originally trying to talk to Johnny Rotten, and he was like, you're too much for me. I can't handle it. Um, but Sid Vicious uh, and her got along famously, um, and they almost immediately move in together. About the liquid barbiturates together. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're into the same shit, like yeah. fighting and barbiturates and shit hanging cats um one of uh one of Sid Vicious's old uh roommates is a lady actually uh Vivienne Albertine um she was in a band called The Slits uh said he was he was never she'd never seen him with a woman before she'd never seen him in a relationship before she'd never seen him talk to women and everybody thinks he was probably a virgin when he met Nancy um because he was not he would never make a move on women he was just like complete that was like not in his um, he just didn't, wasn't interested until she came along and then he was just like got completely wrapped up in her. Um, so 1978, the Sex Pistols tour the US. Uh, Nancy's banned from the tour. Nobody wants her to come. So she stays back in London um, and Sid asks everyone in London to take care of her, but nobody really likes to have her around. Um, so <laughs> they, uh, I think the tour lasts like two weeks um, and then breaks up because the Sex Pistols are not getting along they're not getting along so horribly like Johnny Rotten's fighting with Sid Vicious and then Sid Vicious is constantly like attacking the manager like you're making us sell out and shit which he probably is and so they don't do very well it's a really short-lived fame for them um anyway um Nancy gets a nick- nickname at some point called uh 
of nauseating Nancy in the press because she often is publicly violent and verbally abusive. And um, so, yeah, so they're having a hard time. Um, so the Sex Pistols. <laughs> Sounds like uh, a real peach. Yeah, so they're both they're both just kind of shit show people, to be honest. Yeah. And like they both didn't really have a chance. And it's just kind of tragic to read about because you're just like, well, how can they possibly be normal? And they're just strung out on drugs all the time like their friends describe them it's like you'd go over to hang out with them and they're just like on heroin in their underwear like on their bed having people over but they're like in and out of sleep and it's just like they're just completely out of it and they're literally teenagers (laughs) so it's like they can't function as adults um so the sex pistols disband uh the same year as their first big u.s tour falls apart in 1978 um there's rumors that they kick sit out because then they kind of I don't know. Anyway, um, Wait, why are the rumors that they kick them out? They fall apart. I don't. I couldn't figure out a lot about it. I the only thing I saw about that was in one of the documentaries. One of his friends, like punk rock friends, is like, yeah. And then they they kicks it out, and then they just move past it. And then I couldn't really find a lot more on that. Um, so it's like us, but it sounds it sounds like the whole band falls apart though. So they all kind of uh, fall apart. But it might have started with them kicking it out, and then it they wouldn't work without them. I don't know, but. So the band kind of falls apart. And that was it. That the Sex Pistols were done after that. The Sex Pistols are done. Um, yeah. So let's see. Um, so the Sex Pistols fall apart, and then Nancy and Nancy becomes his manager for his solo career, and that's pretty short. She's such and a sad. peach to deal with. Who wouldn't want to hire? Exactly. Him? Yeah. Um, so sorry. Uh, the they have a show in Winterland, San Francisco, 1978. Ironically, the same as the band's last uh, waltz. Uh, oh. That's their last show they ever play live. The the group falls apart after that, um, freeing Vicious to do as he as he likes. Um, but yeah, which is drugs and killing cats. Yeah, which is Nancy and heroin and getting into bar fights. Um, so at some point they uh, so they're kind of running around London together, and then at some point they move to New York City to the Chelsea Hotel. If that rings a bell, it's because a bunch of people have lived there. It's basically like a big hotel that at that time was like people would just live there. They'd like get a room and they'd live there. They could fucking paint the walls. It was basically like an apartment building, a hotel that was supposed as a hotel. You know, it's kind of weird Um, and definitely kind of a junkie pad. Um, so some of the people that came through the they Chelsea hotel not possibly had that much money. No, I think they were really, bro- everyone said they thought that they were really broke, um, towards the end, which was probably true because they're addicts. Um, so I'll, I'll name drop a few people that lived in the Chelsea hotel, Mark Twain, Dylan Thomas, Tennessee Williams, Jack Kerouac, Allen Ginsberg, um, Stanley Kubrick, Dennis Hopper, uh, Edie Sedgwick, um, let's see. Iggy Pop, Jim Morrison, Iggy. Patty Smith, oh, Jim Morrison. Grateful Dead, Tom Waits, Tom Waits, Chick Corea, Jeff Beck, Dee Dee Ramone, Johnny Thunders, Marianne Faithful, Cher, Marianne Faithful, another groupie, Edith Piaf, what the fuck, <laughs> Joni Mitchell, <laughs> <laughs> Bob Dylan, Robbie Robertson, Alice Cooper, all oh, that beautiful man, Bette Robbie Midler, Robertson, Pink Floyd, Ro- Ryan Ross, Jimi Hendrix, Hendrix. Oh my God, I'm sold. <laughs> Madonna, uh, Madonna actually filmed her book Sex. She filmed in the Chelsea Hotel, or uh, sorry, shot photographs for, not filmed. Um, wow. Uh, and apparently Leonard Cohen uh, was staying there at the same time as Janis Joplin, and there's rumored that they had an affair in oh, 1968. Snap. And the song that he wrote, Chelsea Hotel, I remember you all in the Chelsea Hotel. It's a great song. Apparently that's about Janis Joplin, and I've never heard that before. Okay. okay anyway, so that's okay. the Chelsea Hotel. You could do a deep dive on that, but 
Maybe um, another rock and roll rewind. So they move into the Chelsea Hotel and are basically just laying around doing drugs, uh, spending their money, and people are coming in and out constantly and just kind of like dealing them drugs and hanging out and partying. So it's just kind of an open... they're just hanging out with drug dealers, basically. Yes, and punk people, um, other musicians, other junkies. It's kind of like a open thing it's like people are constantly being invited over policy. absolutely so so when you when you look at the night of the murder it's kind of like it's i got so fucking confused watching this documentary with all these it's all these like old friends of theirs like punks and like they all they're all telling a slightly different story of what happened night of the murder um well, they're all on drugs but it's so keep that that's what i'm thinking yeah. and like also i think a lot of them genuinely don't remember or like other people's stories maybe change their idea but some of them are like yeah i you know we saw them at four we saw them at two we saw them but what it sounds like to me i was trying so hard to get a real timeline and it was batshit like you couldn't fucking figure out who was when where like what was going on but there's a couple things that they all seem to agree on that i can that i'll say um but it's it's confusing and i think it's because they were all super strung out and it was also the middle of the night and it was just kind of like this is was their lifestyle and it was kind of a shit show. Um, and maybe some of them are doing a little bit of covering or whatever, but I think they genuinely don't really know um, what was going on. Um, but what it sounds like is that hella people were constantly coming in and out of their little yeah. room. Like they had a little did, room and people were constantly coming in and out. Like there was a heart. It was not really kept track of. Did Sid and Nancy have a history of violence between the two of them? Um... Yeah, so there's, there's um, there's one, there's one guy in one of the uh, documentaries who says when he met Nancy, she had bruises all over her face and her body, and that was when she was with Sid. So there's a couple things like that. Um, they got like fist fights and stuff. Yeah, where and and judging by both of their um, sort of backgrounds, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they were violent with each other or one was violent totally. with the other, but I think, I think definitely, but, um, it's not really documented that much because they're not gonna like domestic violence isn't really documented until one of them says it. Um, totally. and she never said anything, but there is, yeah, there is in one of the documentaries, one of the guys is like, Oh, she was bruised up a lot. Um, and, uh, okay. So, uh, October 11th, 1978 is the night, um, and it goes into October 12th. So Nancy technically passes away on October 12th, but it's at like something like 8 a.m. But this is one long night. Um, again, I tried to try to figure out a timeline, um, but it's just a lot. It's like 20 different accounts of people that are like, this is either what I heard what happened or I was there. Blah, blah, blah. All right. So we're just going to kind of try. Um, one guy does say there was no heroin around that night. They couldn't find heroin. So they were doing other shit. Um, barbiturates stuff like that um also they're both coming down because they're not on heroin so they're both having these kind of cold turkey fits so that's where it yeah. starts right um people are coming and going all night they're trying to find having withdrawals drugs they're having withdrawals so they're both in a bad spot right um they they were both uh one guy says it best my favorite british uh little slang thing in the whole thing they were both in a nod he says he was there that night and he says they were both in a nod, which I take to mean they were both like sleepy and like, pass out. <laughs> yeah, like they were both kind of fucking out of it. Um, so let's see. Um, by the way, it's a small room. There's two mattresses in the room. Um, so let's see. Um, so around two thirty in the morning, um, I guess there, we do know from all accounts, there were two different drug dealers 
that were in and out of the room at some point. One was Rocket's Red Glare. That's his name. And, nice. the, and the other was a guy named Michael. Um, oh, come on, Michael? Well, uh, some of them just up. call him M, and he's never identified. So that's really weird, right? You're with Rocket's Red Glare, and your name is Michael. Rocket, yeah, your buddy. <laughs> come on, dude. Everyone kind of knew Michael a little bit before this. He was like this blonde guy that kind of hung out with Nancy but and gave her drugs. But like again, this scene is just like so many people it's and so everyone has ridiculous names like rockets, rockets regular <laughs> that it's like well, who the michael fuck? didn't have a crazy name so maybe that's why he just slipped away some of some of the people call him m some people call him michael it's weird um so nancy asks rockets fred glare um i guess this guy was a sometimes bodyguard for sid vicious who also sold them drugs um to get some i'm gonna really pronounce these wrong the drugs delaudids delaudids Delaudids? Uh, this is how not into drugs we, we are. Don't it's do good. Drugs, it's an opioid painkiller. So they're trying to just like, I'm assuming they're having these like cold turkey shitty they withdrawals. Anything, they just need to shut their bodies opioid. down. Um, another uh, witness says that at around 4 a.m., Nancy calls him asking for uh, weed. And he says in the background, <laughs> I know it's like, wait, what? She's like, I really want to join. I really want to join. And this guy says that in the background, he can hear somebody else talking, but it's not Sid Vicious. And this is at 4 a.m., right? So there's that. Um, apparently, according to everybody that came in and out of the room, room that evening, Sid Vicious was passed out every time people saw him. And the rumor was that he'd taken 30 tuinals, T-U-I-N-A-L-S, um, which is like a really strong painkiller. I think it's, it's used like for, a kind of like a Tylenol, probably, right? Yeah, but it's. I think it's used for like people with real, real pain. Um, so anyway, thirty should kill you. And apparently, yeah. he took thirty. Um, but they were like, he could handle thirty, but he was past the fuck out. Like he was completely, um, completely out. And everyone that went in that room to see Nancy or do drugs or whatever said that Sid was passed out every time they saw him. Um, in fact, one guy said, when we got the news that Nancy died the, the next day, we were shocked because we thought we were walking out of the room with Sid Vicious about to die. Like, that's how fucking passed out wow. he was. And everybody was, like, thinking that he had OD'd. Shit. Um, yeah. Um, so, around 7.30 a.m. So, so that's, that's one thing everyone really kind of agrees on is that Sid Vicious was pretty fucking passed out. Um, and but there's I don't there's not really any proof that he took that many tunials. One guy said he could have taken a handful. He could have taken thirty. Like it's just it's we don't know. Um, around seven thirty a.m., female moans are heard from the room from another guest in the hotel. And around ten a.m., Sid Vicious calls down to the front desk asking for help. Um, Nancy Spungen had been stabbed in the stomach one time with a knife and had bled to death, and he found her. Um, underneath the kitchen sink on the, in the bathroom floor. She's 20 years old. Um, so they go up. Vicious is found wandering the hallways in an agitated state, was immediately arrested and charged with her murder. Um, he initially confesses to the crime and later denies it, claiming he'd been asleep when she died. Um, so here, so first, so in police report... Let's get to the facts here. Yeah. What was the murder weapon? Okay, so um, here are some facts. Uh Let's see. Nancy was stabbed just once, bled out, right? People, uh, the whoever, what's his name? Dude, uh, apparently getting stabbed in the stomach takes a long time to die. Okay, yeah, I was just going to say, uh, one of the people commented and said, you know, once she was stabbed, she was probably conscious for about three this hours. This is probably a pretty dark topic. So if anyone's listening who has 
a young child around or anything like that. <laughs> I hope probably. you're not listening to this with a young yeah. child. Just for the so F-words we have the, alone. We have the E next to our name, man. Yeah, we do. Right. Anyway, um, sorry. Just anyway, no, she was there. probably conscious, they say, like from when she got stabbed to when she passed away for about three hours. But then other people are like, they're like, why did she go to the bathroom? Why didn't she leave? Why didn't she... This so is, the front... Why did she... This is one of the arguments. herself under the kitchen sink. Why did she go to the bathroom where it's like almost certain death as opposed to like, so that's why a lot of people think she maybe wasn't attacked because, oh, was it suicide? suicide Because why would she just wait there for three hours to die when she could just literally get on a phone or or go outside? But then a lot of other people are saying, well, well, she was fucked up on drugs. So like maybe she was aware that she got stabbed. Have you ever been so hungover that you can't, even move um <laughs> no for real have you ever been so hung over that like you just feel like pure shit and you're just like lying there and barely oh i've been yeah i've been that that shitty now feeling. imagine that but being stabbed in the stomach yeah so then people are well, like just why didn't really they do this what because she's having drug with like she's heroin on, withdrawals. she's on she's on heroin she's having heroin withdrawals and she's on like and having heroin with painkillers apparently like the it worst feels like dying of all yeah time. apparently so it's like to say, like, why didn't she fucking sprint down the hallway and do jumping jacks to the fucking front desk person? It's like, well, let's and she think might, about this. And she might not have known what was going on. And one guy, and there's really no evidence for this, but one guy is like, yeah, you know, it was rumored that they would do a little bit of, like, sexual, like, cutting, too. And that was maybe a thing that oh. they did. Um, so he's like, maybe that got out of hand, but there's really not, there's really not a lot of evidence about that. Um, okay. Some more facts. Um, she stabbed in the belly one time. There's two mattresses in the room. There's a bloody handprint on one mattress. Sid is passed out on the other mattress. Only four of Sid's fingerprints are found in the entire room, which is kind of weird because he lived there. Um, six other people's fingerprints are found throughout the room. Uh, but none of those people are ever questioned regarding that Jeez, night. None of those, and none of those people are ever identified. Wow. Isn't that fucking nuts? Oh, let's run the prince. Right? Um, run the prince. So there's run that. Run the prince. Um, and then the murder weapon um, is a Jaguar K11 hunting knife. It does belong to Sid. He'd bought it, like, I think two weeks before. Um, and they call so that it's one of those big ass knives. It's does a big it hunting. A, it's not it, that big. It's like this big. Does Maybe it have a hilt? Eight inches. Um, it has a hilt. Um, but what's weird about it is they find it. Um, wiped clean of prints or blood. It's completely clean and it's sitting on top of a suitcase right next to the door. So if, say, she committed suicide, how the fuck would the murder weapon get cleaned clean. off and then put next to the door? If she, if Sid had killed her in a heroin induced sleep state stupor and then immediately and then passed out, confessed, how would he, why would he clean, yeah, and then confess, why would he clean it and everybody is like, he wouldn't have had the um, wherewithal to, to know to clean yeah. it. Yeah, he was so fucked up and passed out and everything. Um, so that's, that's, and everyone says that's the smoking gun because it's like, oh, well, the murder weapon belonged to Sid and Sid's in the room, passed out and doesn't know what happened. It's him. Um, so they arrest him. Um, so the police report, uh, when they first see Sid, um, he first speaks to the police. There's, it's full of contradictions. First, he claims he doesn't know what happened to Nancy, saying, I didn't stab her. Um, also that he took, and then a drug I can't pronounce, and slept the whole night through. I think it's, no, it's two nulls. Um, and slept the whole night through. So he's like, I don't fucking know. I wasn't awake. I've been passed the fuck out. That's the first thing he says. Then he apparently confesses to the murder, um, saying they had an argument, 
and he maybe stabbed her. Then he says something like, I think it was an accident. I think she fell on the knife. So I don't know if this is one of those things where they have him in a room for a long time and then he just starts saying they shit. They wear him down. Or he's just so fucked up that he like doesn't know what he's saying. Um, or he's saying what happened or he's changing what happened. It's, it's really hard to know. Um, and then after this, after all that, he explains to police that when he first found Nancy in the bathroom, she was actually breathing and he cleaned her up. Then he went to the methadone clinic to get her methadone and then called the police on the way home, assuming she was still alive. And it is true that when he woke up, he went to the methadone clinic first and then came back and found Nancy's body. So a couple of people are a little like, he, she was so fucking removed. He was so fucking removed from reality at that point that like he didn't even notice her dead in the bathroom. Like that's how fucked up he was that he went to the methadone clinic first yeah. and then came back. Or maybe she was conscious. He went to the methadone clinic, came back, and she was passed away. He he barely knows. Um, so uh, pretty soon he gets bailed out of jail, which is kind of amazing. Um, there's not a lot of physical evidence, I guess, um, or anything to really hold him in. Um, there's no fingerprints or. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can't get over the six other fingerprints in the room that they're just like... They're just like, whatever. <sighs> so um, he gets he gets bailed out. Uh, he starts acting out again. Um, in a really creepy interview, it's the last interview he ever gave. I saw the video. Um, he uh, The interviewer asked him, like, what would you like now? Um, and he says, I just want to have fun, any kind of fun. That's my object in life. Um, and then they say, are you having fun? And he said, I'm not having fun at all. And then they say, where would you like to be? And he says, under the ground. And then later in the same interview, he says, it was meant to happen. Nancy always said she'd die before she turned 21. That's creepy. Um, and then we'll, yeah, we'll round it out with uh, just a little aftermath and then uh, just a couple of, uh, go through a couple of theories. But we'll keep it, keep it as quick as I can without going over too much um, good, good details. Um, so Sid passes away uh, pretty not long after. Um, so she passes away, what, October 12th? Um, and he's going to pass away in February of the following year. So just a couple months later. Um, so in the days following, uh, so he's released on $25,000 bail supplied by Virgin Records, their label. So oh, they bail wow. him out. Um, they would not do that shit at all nowadays. <laughs> they, would, they would be, They would yeah. cancel him so fast. Yeah, they'd, they'd be, be like, like oh, oh, you're canceled. You're canceled. <laughs> um, he, immediate, he immediately tries to commit suicide uh, by slitting his wrist with a light bulb. Um, which is unsuccessful. He's then hospitalized at St. Bellevue Didn't where he, he a hunting knife? Where Why he tried <laughs> Yeah, I'm like the light bulb, bulb <laughs> thing's weird. Um maybe people were keeping him away from weapons. Um no, that's fair. Where he uh he also so he's when he's in the hospital he tries to kill himself by jumping from a window shouting, I wanna be with Nancy and then is pulled back in um sorry, attempting to jump out a window. Um and then is pulled back in by the hospital staff. So he's having a really hard time. Aww. Um yeah, and then um Let's I would say poor guy, but he killed a cat earlier. So yeah, we all we kind of know he has this shitty guy. sociopathic thing going on too. Um, and then a short time later, uh, his bail was revoked because he assaults somebody in a bar. Uh, Patty Smith's brother, Todd Smith, and the two guys that are with him tell the story, and they're like, "We don't know what happened. We we came into a bar. There was a loud, shitty band playing. We were all having a drink, and then there was a commotion, and we just saw like this dude just bleeding from his face. And Sid Vicious had taken a glass and just shoved it into this guy, just shattered it into this guy's face." Wow. And they're like, what the fuck? So they all they get Sid out of there. So he's uh 
he's acting out and so he gets sent by it's he's such a fucking he is it's really <laughs> horrifying um so he gets sent like can you imagine just shoving a glass I, I don't care how mad you are like a glass into somebody's face and like shattering it up and you just have this glass in your hand and you just smack him like with what it. that's the, the way fuck? i envision it um so then he's uh sent back to uh uh rikers island a new york city jail um and uh, I think he spends like 50-something days there. And then he gets freed again on an additional $10,000 bail. I think it's, again, his um, virgin let him out. And then um, following his second release from jail, they he decides to have a little party. He has a new girlfriend by now, which everyone thinks is a little fast, whatever. A uh, lady named Michelle Robinson. Um, so he's in her Greenwich Village apartment. They decide to have a little party for him getting out of jail the second time. Um, and his mom, Anne, comes in Beverly oh, with mom. a bunch of drugs. <laughs> Seriously. And these these uh, punk guys are talking about it in the dock. And they're like, they're like, it wasn't a party. It was like seven people sitting around getting high. It was a sad show. Like it was not like a celebration party. It was just like he got out of jail and he was like, I have to get high. Uh, so his mom's like, I'll get you some. So she she comes over with some uh, some heroin, um, and then uh, that night's a pretty long night, um, and the next uh, so let's see uh, everybody said what's weird is everybody said that he was in a really good mood that night. He was dancing around, playing air guitar. He was talking about the future and moving to upstate New York. He was like in really good spirits. Um, and then around midnight, he takes some heroin that his mom provides, even though his friends are like, "Oh man, you should, probably shouldn't take." And then again talked about this before he takes the same he's been in jail for like 50 days he gets out so he hasn't had heroin for 50 days he gets out is he and he takes the same amount he always used to take oh yeah 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 so so that's that's all bad so he passes the fuck out and they keep waking him up and he's like okay and they passes the fuck out and then all his friends leave and then apparently the rumor is that um his mother uh he like wakes up and he wants more heroin and his mother gives him some and that was the fatal blow uh, um yeah um so when he was still alive yeah was he were there any charges pending against him they were still investigating the the nancy murder um but the, there were no charges against him he was in jail well he 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 um confessed he confessed right? and then like recounted it and then there was no physical evidence. Recanted, yeah. Recanted it. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, they bailed him out. And then they were still. But if he was in jail, they had to have had some. It sounds. You know right? what it sounds like is it sounds like they also kind of didn't care. Everyone is saying York, NYPD didn't really care. Like oh, they, so it was in New York City that. Yeah. Okay. For some reason, I thought it was yeah Chelsea movie. Hotel, yeah, New York City, okay. and then Greenwich Village is where he passed. Oh, they okay. both die in New York City. Um, so anyway, um, so yeah, I guess I guess when his friends left, they there was a little bit of heroin left, and they said to his mom, like, "You should give this to him tomorrow." Like almost like because he's like it's basically like giving a sick person medicine, right? They're like he's because otherwise he'll go through these withdrawals. So they're like, yeah. "Hey, you should give him this tomorrow." But apparently, he woke up and she gave it to him then, and that was the final blow. So he's found the next morning nude passed away um by his mom and his uh girlfriend um and then the day after his death apparently this i found suspicious and weird uh his mom <laughs> finds a note in his jeans that reads Mommy? so she finds this little note in his jeans that apparently she says he was probably it's an old note he's been carrying this around for months uh and apparently the note says we had a death pact i have to keep my half of the bargain please bury me next to my baby 
Bury me in my leather jacket, jeans, and motorcycle boots. Goodbye. Oh, so his mom finds his that no well that's what i'm kind of like handwriting i'm like is this her like as a last like he's innocent like kind of thing uh so i think that's a little shady but a lot of people really think that this is like the proof that him and nancy had a death pact and she killed herself which again doesn't make any fucking sense because of where the knife was or he, or anyway they yeah. that they had a death pact and there was no one else involved or and oh, then it wasn't yeah. his fault um, so with the death of Sid Vicious, NYPD immediately closes the case wow. on Nancy, just fucking closes it up and goes up oh, two junkies dead. Fine. Like, let's move on. Um, which Sounds really, really right. upset what a lot of people. What year was it again that they died? 1978. And then he died in 70, it was February 79. Yeah. Um, wow. yeah. Um, so big bummer. Um, and then Sid's mother, uh, good old giving her kid heroin, uh, lady, uh, uh, killed herself the day the Sex Pistols reform in 1996. Isn't that weird? 1996? So the, yeah, the day the wow. Sex Pistols announced they're going on tour again for the first time since you know they broke coincidence up. Coincidence or not? Nah? She commits suicide. I, I don't know. It might just be a coincidence. Um, huh. And it might not be. It might be a little bit like fabricated that that all happened that, like that, that was announced on that day yeah, or whatever. Yeah, but totally. but it's a, it's a pretty creepy little, uh, little thing on the left. Um, so... So wrapping it up, we'll wrap it up with some theories. Um, one of the theories that I think is the dumbest is that Nancy stabbed herself. And in like some, some of these, a lot of these punk people really hate her. It's like, well, it's like along. the attitude toward Yoko yeah, almost. Yeah, They're yeah. just like, fuck Nancy. She was a bitch. They're like, Sid didn't kill her, but she was a bitch. She's, she was terrible. Like everybody hated her. So she was but a nightmare. that would go hand in hand with the death pact. I that guess. would go hand in hand with the death yeah. pact. Um, and then some people think, you know, she was super dramatic. She'd make big scenes a lot. You know, maybe she was like stabbed herself and then expected him to like rescue her. And then he was too fucked up and she was too fucked up and she just ended up bleeding out. I don't, I don't like that theory because of where the weapon was left that she stabbed herself. I think she'd have it and I don't think it would be clean. Um, so that's one of the theories. Um, one, one thing that a lot of people do agree on um, is that a lot when the, when Sid found her and brought everybody into the room and they started investigating it, uh, a ton of cash was missing. So that doesn't necessarily mean somebody murdered her or robbed her, but, but they could have been robbed. I they were kind of broke. Big bankroll, apparently, of cash. Apparently, Nancy had a bunch of cash that night. Everybody that comes in that sold her drugs said she had, like, a bunch of cash just kind of, like, around. And she was, like, buying drugs with it, but it was, like, around, which is, like... And then you have all these drug dealers coming in and you're all fucked up. It's like, it's kind of asking, not asking to get robbed, I mean, but it's almost like, I feel like sometimes somebody would rob them, I mean, right? She's 20. So she, yeah. And I mean, she has a lot of, heroin. you know, experience, but at the same time, when you're 20, you're going to learn some hard lessons. And yeah. uh, one lesson maybe she hadn't learned yet is that you don't show shady people how much money you have. Yeah. Or, and she, I mean, assumes these people i guess are her friends because that's that's the other thing is you, you assume people won't do shit but when they're drug addled you never know what the hell they're gonna do yeah so there's a bunch of money was missing um and uh and also again there was fingerprints found in the room of six people uh but none of them were interviewed or ever identified um some people yeah believe botched double suicide either he stabs her because she wants him to and then he's supposed to do it to himself but he never does right um or she does it to herself and he never does to himself so that's that's one idea is it was a pact just like this creepy little note says um and then 
the and then the other kind of strongest um i guess theory is that it was a robbery or drug deal robbery or drug deal gone bad um that perhaps uh nancy um gotten to maybe you know all these drug dealers are coming in and out maybe nancy's a conscious maybe she comes to consciousness when someone's robbing them and confronts the robber and then ends up stabbed and then they leave um and then one of the um one of the biggest theories so there's two big suspects besides uh sid that people bring up one is rocket's red glare um the drug dealer who supplied the opiates that he killed spongin um because people think that um because he was there quite a bit throughout the night he was coming in and out a lot he kind of had a funky relationship with them he was sometimes sid's bodyguard like i said um so it's thought that he tried to steal cash from their hotel room and uh she confronted him in the sort of violent you know um aggressive way that she is which she would yeah which and then um and then he uh stabbed her and probably thought that uh sid was already passed away when he left because that's how sid looked to everybody else um and then the second, um, so Rockets, no, none of the none of the punk people really like that um, because they say that Rockets Red Glare was the first person to say there's no way Sid could have done this murder. So yeah. when there was already like everybody was like it was Sid, Rockets Red Glare was like it was definitely wasn't Sid. So like if he'd done it, why would he? Why wouldn't he just be like it yeah. was probably Sid, right? So yeah. a lot of people are like it doesn't make sense that it was him. Um, and was by all him. accounts, he wasn't really a violent person. It was um, Michael. Yeah. So. Everybody that I've watched talk about it uh, thinks that it's um, that it's this guy named Michael. Um, so according to a witness, um, there was a drug addict called Michael who lived on the sixth floor of the hotel. So he also lives in the Chelsea Hotel. He's blonde. He's tall. He's kind of awkward. Um, but he visits the couple a lot, and he's kind of friends with Nancy, but no one else really likes him. Um, so he's seen later in the night uh, with a wad of cash tied together with Nancy's one of Nancy's purple hair ties. So this mm. is later, later in the night, um, presumably after the murder, like seven, eight in the morning. Um, so let's see. Um, so Michael, let's see. Apparently, um, so nobody knows the real um, identity of this guy named Michael. Nobody could find him after this. The cops could never find him and then they completely gave up. Like a bunch of the punk people were like, hey, there was this guy named Michael here and the cops were like, okay, we'll try to find him and then when Sid died, they were like, we're done with this case. So they never, they never found this person um, and ne- people never saw him again. Um, so what people think maybe happened is that Michael came in with Rocket's Red Glare at some point, sold Nancy some drugs, they were hanging out, the two of them leave and then at some point Michael returns, um, finds Sid out cold and then attempts to steal maybe some money or drugs leading to the confrontation with uh with Nancy and there is one witness that says um, that says he was with Michael later that night and when Michael came back from the room he told a couple people I think in like the lobby of the hotel I'm trying to figure out where this is um, oh guess what and he has a smile on his face when he says this Nancy's in a body bag Sid killed her and everyone says y'all you're fucking you're fucking with us basically like that didn't happen and then a couple hours later they find the body but um the people that he said that to said he did have cash with Nancy's purple hair tie. And then he was never found after that. So most people think it's this guy. But then the other obvious scenario is that Sid killed her. And then the other obvious scenario. Yeah. Is that, um, that Sid, um, 
killed her, which could have happened in a in a number of different ways. Um, I mean, he's abusive. He he's violent. Glasses in people's faces. They're he, they're fucked up. He reacts. He hot genuinely to every didn't remember. Um, yeah. So, and. I mean, theoretically, he could have been in this, you know, stupor. Everyone's like, he took 30 of these pills. It could have been three. He could have been totally fine. He could have woken up, had a fight with her. Violence happened. He yeah. wiped the knife. You know, there's that's that's still obviously one of the one of the big theories. And I don't know. Like after everything I watched and everything, I genuinely don't think I All have right. like a strong opinion. Head, what do you think? I really don't know. If you get it wrong, no, there's no, there's no, you don't know. Gun to your head. It's like if I had to bet on it, like I, I genuinely don't know. Like it's, it's really, it's really hard because it, you look at him. Well, first of all, the first documentary I read, it's called like last days in fucking paradise or some stupid shit. Oh, sad vacation. Um, (laughs) I don't recommend that fucking documentary. It's just all like the whole first half of it is like everybody just being like, Nancy was such a bitch. And like, it's just so cringy like all these punk people are like we all hated her and like sid definitely didn't kill her but like you know she kind of sucked and it's just like where is this going like what the fuck so i was just i couldn't finish that one i was like this is really cringy um but all those people are like diehard like sid could never have done this like he was such a softy and he was a shy guy and like he was like obsessed with nancy and in love with her but then you hear these other stories about the cat hanging and the fucking fights oh and another thing i forgot to say um on their two-week america tour um, he got mad at a audience member and took his bass and hit him in the head with it. Yeah, he's violent. He's super violent. He's and super he like he overreacts. Time. He's super. Um, he's super uh, fucked up all the time. Like there's there's a lot of reasons where I could see that happening. And yeah, pe- you know, people said they saw Nancy with bruises, so I'm sure he was. I'm sure he was violent with Nancy. He's a socio. He he's a sociopath. Um, There'd be no reason for him to wipe off his fingerprints um, anywhere else. I mean, the knife, he would wipe off his fingerprints if he indeed indeed did do it. Yeah. But why would he wipe off the fingerprints and clean it and then confess? And then go pass out yeah. and like, and then go to the methadone clinic and know. then come in, and it then call the cops. Like, it feels like this Michael character is, is the more then, likely suspect. But then also, you know, I'm realizing that like a lot of these accounts that sort of sway you away from Sid, like the biggest thing that sway, sways me away from Sid is like all his punk friends being like, he was passed the fuck out. Yeah. Like 10 different people are like, we came in there. He was, we thought he was going to die that night. Yeah. Like we, he was fucking done, dude. He was gone. Yeah. So that, but who's to say that they're being completely, Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's really, I mean, it's really hard to say. Um, and then, yeah, the, the Michael thing is, I think it's a real person. I don't think everybody made him up. Um, although you could go full conspiracy theory and say that like, well, this person was never found. Did he even exist? Or are people just trying to have like a, um, a figure that's not, they're trying to make up a, a figure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's, I really, I really don't know. It's, it's just sad that, but like I said at the beginning, like you look at the whole situation and you're just like, God, these guys really didn't have a great shot with their, with their whole lives. So it's just a, it's a really tragic thing. And I, I really hate, I'll say it again. I really hate like all these people that are like talking about, 
Nancy like she was just a terrible person. So like, well, oh. this was bound to happen. And it's like, what the fuck? It's like that 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 whole thing I don't like. I think she was really I mean, no abrasive. One to get murdered. No, someone's a bad person. Like, I think she rubbed people the wrong way. I think she was. I think she was kind of dealing with a lot of me- mental health shit like f- one one weird detail is I that mean, when she could have been schizophrenic yeah you know, well one weird thing. detail that i that kind of gave me the chills even though it sounds really minor is that when they moved she was in london for like not like what a year like not that long yeah and then they moved back to new york city and she came back to new york city with like a full cockney accent oh yeah weird. isn't that weird and everybody was just like they thought she was like putting on a show, which she could have been, but I'm just like, she just seems like off to me. Like, and you watch videos of her and she's trying to be like this professional. It looks like a little girl, like acting the part of a manager. She's like, Sid isn't going to do that right now, but she's doing it in a full Cockney accent. And she's like, we have a new lineup for Sid. And it's just creepy. It's just creepy. Like she's not all there. Yeah. I don't know. Like she's going into personalities. You know? Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's just it's just weird. What do you think? Do you have any opinion? I know I'm I, sorry I from went kind of long. What you've given me, uh, I I don't think it was Sid. I think he was passed out. Yeah. And uh, it just the wiping down the fingerprints. The the murder the, weapon the location missing, is weird. M- uh, missing money, a bunch of fingerprints in the room. Yeah. And like that whole situation, and like again, you can try to figure out a timeline and watch the documentary I watched. Oh, the documentary I watched, by the way, is called Who Killed Nancy, which was a little more objective. Uh, the other one was kind of... But anyway, um, it's got it's got er- all these accounts and like one thing you can take away is that it was just like a crazy like drug pad where people were constantly coming and going and then Nancy was like throwing cash around in front of... Not that she deserved anything. I'm not trying to victim blame, but like in front of drug dealers where it's like... It's kind of it's kind of a perfect drug recipe for disaster. And drug users. Yeah, and yeah. people that are fucked up and violent already because like the punk scene people are a little, little violent, you yeah, know. Back and it's then especially. back then. I mean, I'm not trying to make a blanket statement. I don't know shit about the punk scene today. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to say anything that's gonna hurt anyone's feelings, but it was definitely gnarly back then. Yeah. It was definitely a gnarly thing. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. I researched a lot and I walked away kind of not knowing, uh, not knowing, but it's still unsolved. Like I said, the yeah. police closed the case after uh, he passed away. They were like, case fucking closed. Man, I, w- I wish someone would reopen it. Yeah, it's fascinating to me. Like, there's some fingerprints in there. Like, yeah. But there's not really, there's one guy, uh, one of the friends who drew like a composite sketch. Um, he's, I can't remember his name, but, uh, he was in a band with Sid after the sex pistols on that brief solo. Career, yeah. And he's like, oh, he's like, I drew a picture of him cause no one ever saw him again. And he, he holds up this little drawing he did mm-hmm. of this guy. He's like, this is Michael. This is the guy. <laughs> and he's like, he's like very dramatic. Like, this is the guy. This is the guy. Um, was it like a stick figure? No, it was actually a pretty good drawing. <laughs> it's like this kind of blondie looking guy. Um, yeah, I don't know. A lot of people are like, we saw that guy there and, and then he kind of disappeared and he was, yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. It's it's kind of fascinating though. Like I really, that was long as hell and that was really me like trying to like yeah. make it short. So like there's so much more you can dive into. Yeah. Um, their their lives in general are just really depressing if you if you want to go They're down a rabbit lives, hole. The yeah. Sex Pistols, I wish I could touch on more. They have a really cool story. They're really short, but they made a huge impact, which is they cool. They did, yeah. Um, so yeah. Anyway, I'll close. Any any yeah. closing thoughts on that? Because I feel well, like I talked quite a bit. It. That was a, yeah. That was a real Debbie Downer, but also a really important uh, story in rock 
and roll history. So yeah, I'm glad that you dived deep into it. That was I awesome. did. I, I felt like I could have done more, but again, we got to keep this short and like, uh, it's also, yeah, just it get, to you be have a, to brace a, a yourself for bummer. all the punk rock fans are going to be coming at you. <laughs> They're coming for me. I'm ready. I know I started researching this and I was like, I can't do this. Like I don't, I'm yeah. not prepared to do this, but I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, Let's tell Dude, the story. When I'll we tell did Manson, we had some crazy Manson motherfuckers coming at us. Oh no! It was we're inviting wild. these people. <laughs> people were like, "He was railroaded by the fucking government." That's and you're exactly just like, what they sound like too. And you're like, they're oh all my god! Nuts. I appreciate. I was like, I respect your passion. <laughs> I I'm like, horrified by they're it. They're like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, we don't know how to react. Anyway, a uh, little radio keys news. We're laying pretty low for December um, until the end of it. Anyway. We have uh, a show on December 6th at Lagunitas in Petaluma. Ooh, yeah. I'm excited about it. We finally got a Friday night show at Lagunitas. We've played yeah. a couple Sundays, but Friday night, we're going to see what that's about. I think it'll be fun. And we're going to keep uh, working on some new material. So we're tightening up our set. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we're going to also do a little stripped down version of our set where we do more of an acoustic thing, the four of us. Um, yeah. We call it the old campfire set. Yeah. And um, I won't. I can't really quite announce these yet, but we have a couple of shows coming up in Napa, Berkeley, and San Francisco in December, January. So we'll be announcing those. Some fun local stuff. Indeed. All right. So uh, thanks, uh, for, uh, like, of course, for listening and, uh, and putting up with our <laughs> long Ranting. stories about shit. But hopefully you enjoyed it. <laughs> um, come I'm for me, Stuart. punk rock <laughs> yeah, people. Come at it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Stuart. This is my sister, Emily, and we're going to keep searching for that sweet, sweet soul music. music.